this thing on? <laughs> Brother Tim. Ooh, that sound like a real knock. That did sound like a knock. Let him in, y'all. We let no days off here. They made a mistake. They gave us microphones. Hey, 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 hey. Hey, hey. You know, we don't want to be the podcast that's no out and no one can be able to hear us, huh? Ooh, I love when I get to sit across from you and do this podcast. I love you, brother. Sorry, brother. <laughs> it's almost like we're saying shame is honesty. It's like, well, have your emotional moment. Nobody said that you quit it. You can still be strong. No, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna be hurt too much. So that's my motto. Like when you have a go urges, just jack off and go do something productive. Like, taxes for fruit, y'all. <laughs> taxes for fruit. <laughs> Hold me accountable. Too. Somebody being willing to fall on the <sighs> And once they do that, they need to explain <laughs> the repercussions of their decision. Right. Woo 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 woo. Yeah 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Die. A lot of these people want their guns because they have an agenda. I feel like they're going to stockpile weapons and one day they're going to try to come and kill all the black people. That's what I think. Can you talking to your mic? Yes, sir, I can. Yes. This is sexy. It's working. We have, we're doing things here. It's They've a, been on the whole time. What? The mics. I've, I've had my headphones on the whole time. No, but now it's actually, I'm just texting something. I had to change your name on here to Corey. So we know that is your track, Corey. That is your track. Beef, your hair looks amazing. Thank you. I love it. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Corey, you cannot be out here chewing no fucking pineapple. Oh, my God. Because he would not even let me eat grapes last week. I'm not having it. It was a whole thing. You know how Corey chew. Ooh, that is shitty. How you spell? Oh, is it C O R Y or C O R E Y? She has never been an E. Never. Why, why do you sound? She be coming out of nowhere. I, I, I'm asking. C O R Y. Oh man. <coughs> because my mama passed phonics. She didn't need those extra letters that people put. Uh, oh. He, he come with the shade and even start. He don't even know who he shaded. No, right. because people be like C O R E Y. What's the Y serves as a vowel. There is no point <laughs> in the E. Okay, but why Why does it matter? Corey is very upset, everyone. I'm because, not upset. But it's but different if your name is... I mean, no, passionate. but it's, if, if your name is Corey, that's fine. But if your name is Corey, that's your name. Then that's the... You need the E. Corey. Maybe yours is just Corey. And we'll just call you Corey. <laughs> that's a really good point, brother. I think... Case one. <laughs> case one. He won it. Corey. Hey, Corey. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, maybe they wanted to make sure. Maybe it was Correa. Right. Correa. Well, I'm Corey, 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 Corey. I was named after my great grandmother. Her name was Corinne? Cora. Oh, damn. I was close. Oh, my God. Like in the Cora. Medea movies. So, like, my first and my middle name are my great grandparents, Cora and Leroy. So, your name is Corey, Corey Leroy Scott. Corey Leroy Scott. That, yeah. is a, that is beautiful. That is a beautiful it's name. It's very like adjacent to Coretta Scott King. Wow. Do y'all hear Ashley in the back? What? All this extra commentary. She over there sound like the pastor. The ner- Just, hey man. Is my child. Where is she? Who, Quinn? I hear jingling. It. That's she what she's doing. Um, I thought double, I took away double all the axles right. in the background. She's acting like Willow in another room I doing know. this. That's why I had to leave Okay, I'm done. Time. Is there any other fruits available? Yes. You better eat it now. 
Oh, forever hold your oh, teeth. But I, I know how to eat on the podcast. Bet Do you, you? Bet you won't hear me eat this blueberry watch. I guess not. I heard it. No. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, the blueberry is actually a good one. It's not. Let me see. Well, I can't hear because I should be talking every time you put it in your mouth. Well, I gotta get my food. Mm-hmm. Whatever the case, I don't want to offend y'all. Why not? And the rules on your podcast. So no, ain't nobody eating. Can I let me hit some of these? Let me hit some of these. It's actually very tasty. Thank you very much. How come I've never been invited to the podcast? That's a question I want to answer to. You gotta wait. You gotta wait. You gotta wait. What is it? Patriarchal. White capitalism. I am not woke, y'all. Queen and Jay, that that long. I, I love it. I do too. I love, I love that shit too. I actually really love it. I was brother. I was remember, I every was time like, I think about them, I think about them with capes on and, fly, <laughs> and flying like this, but and everybody's like the womanists. Yeah. I love them. I like their little. Yeah. Even I'm when like, they go off on me, I love them. Go. Mm, they don't go off on you, do they? Yes. yes they Can I have some of those? You sexy thing. Akuna, shut the hell up, please. <laughs> All in the background. <laughs> Being disruptive. <laughs> and then she's laughing, which is making it worse. I'm glad she's laughing. <gasps> the alternative. Corey is scaring me. You can hear the strawberries. I hear all of it. You didn't hear the raspberry or the blueberry. (laughs) (laughs) I told you. Yes. It's official, you guys. We can eat. No. Raspberries and blueberries. But they have to be soft because because if they aren't right. They pass the sound test. If they aren't right, then they're going to be like. Because that was good. Because. Oh my God! Where is your food? It's one minute away. How do you know that? I'm looking at the um, updates. Zero minutes. What is the slavery? How do you know where it is? Well, we already started, so I don't know what podcast you on. It started. Yeah, girl, we've been rolling for about seven minutes. Rolling with the. Did you just misgender him? Hmm? It's fine. I'm all genders. Are you? Hmm. Okay. (coughs) Everybody knew that, and I'm all trinary. I'm trying it all. Mm, I love that. Yes, I'm very. Be trying. careful though. What? Wrap it up anyway. Tw- anything you do, it. just wrap it up. Wrap it up and twist it. I don't. Not that I, I don't want to reduce you to your organs. I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. I don't be on a diet. I'd be on a try it. Yes. Oh, that's good. That's, Let me try it. That's good. It sounds tasty. Well, now I mean, that we finished all of your fruit. Mm-hmm. I don't be on a diet. I'm on a try. It. And now that we, well, we might as well just introduce him. And Ashley is in the background, obviously, for anyone who's listening to this. But our main guest is Corey. <laughs> <laughs> That's all you get. So uh, first, ah! when I am officially uh, introduced, Will, oh my God, you include my middle name and my middle initial and last name, please. No, we have to have a proper introduction. This well, is a very important episode of No Days Off. He fought for that. Go ahead, brother. Introduce him. The amazing. The Go ahead, brother. The incredible. The incomparable. The pasta. The stupendous. The 
political man of genius. The That's not a real thing, but whatever. The Maverick of Jesus. Maverick of Jesus. Wow. Uh, hey, uh, that's going on my imaginary That's tombstone. like MOJ. Yeah. It's like MJ and OJ yeah, together, which that. probably doesn't always work out well. No. If you're MJ or OJ. No. This took a turn. OJ said he's living a good life. This took a turn. <laughs> uh, br- bring it back, brother. Finish uh, the intro. The. <laughs> the fluorescent. <laughs> The the amazing b- braids of dreads of locks. Corey. Are you one of those people who don't like your hair to be called dreads? dreads. It's hair. Oh, wow. But Wait. see, you know, ever since we're so woke. Yeah, I mean, I know. it's hair. And I think people attach too much to it. One day I'll be bald. And it won't matter. Another day I can grow my hair out. And it doesn't matter. Like, it's hair. Oh, you're lucky. I don't. So deep. I mean, he's it, so deep, guys. I, it's not. It's not me being deep, but I think I'm we over attach, here hanging on every thread I got. <laughs> we yeah. attach. We attach so much to physicality that you misvalue in who you are. You know what? You yeah. know what, Corey L. Scott. Well, there you go. Thank so he, that's one hell of a fucking intro, isn't it, Corey L. Scott? See, that's an intro. Okay. Okay. Introduce your damn I'm self. <laughs> okay. Oh. You got that. Wow. You did that. I yes. So today. Um, it's on, our anniversary. Yes. No days off. It's we have Corey L. Scott, a uh, great friend of ours. Um, yeah. Well, listen, let me tell you guys something, okay? So I met Corey about, what, three years ago? Damn, mm. time flies. It's, I think I think official, like, friend meet. Yes, three years ago. Yeah, like three years ago. And he's just been such an amazing addition to my life, I would say. He's really, really one of the people who um, I aspire to know more because of how much he knows about certain things. It's like fucking fabulous how intelligent you are. Corey is someone who is like a recent addition to my life, even though it's been like three years, but it takes me a while. You know, I have stranger danger. So it takes me a while to get to know people, but... You have just been such an amazing addition because of how amazingly intelligent you are. I think like that's the first thing that I notice about you. So Jamari and I, my good friend Jamari, um, Will's twin. Um, hey twin. Hey twin. Um, we were in um, service. We were in, um, what is it, Tuesdays at FCBC. What is it called? Tuesday Night Teaching. Tuesday Night Teaching, TNT. So that's what it's uh, well known as if you're a part of the, um, you know, the congregation there. TNT. You should go. Um, but we were like sitting down. We were talking about whatever. I think we were talking about wisdom or maybe like something very, very interesting that night. And here's Corey, like someone, I think the, um, who was it? Maybe Pastor Willow who was um, conducting it that night. She poses a question and Corey raises his hand and goes off. About whatever it like is, but he always. just goes off. I love like, it. Like, you know, if you watch The Grapevine, you know Corey. Goes he off. goes off, and you know at the level in which he goes off <laughs> at. It's crazy, but it's just, you know, a type of an intelligence and a type of insight that I really think is unique, and it's insightful, and it comes jam-packed and loaded with a lot of good shit. And um, I think people know that now. I think a lot of people know that. And it's really, really exciting to have, to see it evolve as a part of, you know, being uh, on the show. Mm-hmm. But even just being in, your, being in your life as a friend, it's been amazing to see how it's impacted you. So, 
you know, once again, welcome to the show. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think I've known Corey, I've known you for about a year, a year and a half um, now. I think especially working more close with the grapevine. I think I know I've met you before the grapevine, but, you know, more working, more, us more working closer uh, with uh, because of the grapevine. But um, similar to what Donovan said, it's just... You're just so fascinating. Um, I think the more um, I was, especially on the grapevine, the more I learned about you by being there on set, you know, helping direct. Um, I just, you you just are so layered and there's just so much that you offer yeah. um, that it's incredible. And when we all, when we talk about nuance, when we talk about intersections, you have so many that are so like powerful and like so upfront that it's just amazing to me to see like how you kind of, encompass all of these things and how do you how you balance all of these things not even just like what you do as far as work and stuff like that but just like your thoughts and and how you you know you maneuver through different communities and how you you know expound on ideas it's just so layered and so thoughtful and so purposeful and um um like donovan said it's just so it's it's an honor to see so I love being around you because if you're, you know, anyone who thinks about, you know, surrounding yourself around people who you want to be like, you definitely would be one of those people just because you're so knowledgeable and you're so uh, embracing of so many different things that it's just incredible to watch and it's incredible to see you, you know, navigate spaces and now seeing you write your book, which I'm sure you'll talk about. It's just really, really fucking incredible to be around. Um, and I'm just like, ooh, rub on me, rub off on me, <laughs> rub off on me, please. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Um, so you definitely have have a great energy um again we talk about um so many times of uh being a whole person um and many things being true um and i think that kind of lives through you um in so many ways you know be i mean we'll get into it but just being a you know a pastor you know a minister and being you know homosexual and being all of these things and being a community leader and it's just so layered that it's again it sometimes it makes my mind like blown um but yeah thank you so much for being here and, and taking the time out of your you know your busy day your busy schedule you're all the way here from chicago you know and you got money it's it's an honor for you to be here so thank you again for Coins. uh for being Stop here with us dollars it's not Zala's. true everything <laughs> i you know work what I'm really hard and all my sp- expenses are accounted for every dollar yes, all the coins well tell us more who are you what's good i am extremely grateful to be here and to be you guys's friend mm. ditto I really, that was like five years ago. Five. In TNT. Five. Because you and Jamari also came to the, You're right. You're the right. young adult meeting. Yeah, yeah, you know, you're and totally that, right. That was when I was leading young adult ministry at FCBC. <clears throat> so that was a little longer. Yeah, that was yeah. like 2015. Wow. Maybe, yeah, summer 2015, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I, I really appreciate it. One of the things that I try to make sure is always a part of my life is that it's something Aquarius said to me some years ago that as friends, we require each other to level up, mm-hmm. that you are not allowed to stay where you are. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And if you want to do that, like you have to constantly be seeking people in your life that cause you to level up mm-hmm. like I can't be around you and just want to like coast and stay where I am because I will get left or be <laughs> extremely embarrassed or be extremely insecure 
because everybody is striving and mm-hmm. and working towards growing it. <clears throat> so as much as I inspire you guys, you all are inspiration to me. Being on the set of the grapevine or when we hang out or any of those things mm-hmm. is always inspiring. And I I've said it to you a bunch of times and I say it to other people is like, this is how the Harlem Renaissance felt. And mm-hmm. this is our rena- Renaissance. Mm-hmm. Like all of us in our different places, we know each other. We're friends I know, and killing crazy. as literary um, <clears throat> artists, as social media uh, contributors or what have you mm-hmm. from Aisha to Jameer, Mouse, Uchechi, you, Ashley, Will, like everybody's doing their thing where they are. And it's amazing from fashion, like everything is covered, mm-hmm. you know, from the frivolous, seemingly frivolous to the, you know, weighted stuff that that people think I deal with. Some of it is, but all of that matters. And I'm a proud to be a part of this beautiful thing that is constantly unfolding. Yeah. So about me personally. Yeah. I am from Chicago, Illinois, born and raised in Chicago. Mm-hmm. I lived there until I turned 18. Mm-hmm. 18, I went to D.C. I bought a one-way ticket to Washington, D.C. to go to Howard University. And when I bought that ticket, I paid for it myself. I was going to college my freshman year. Mm-hmm. I said, I'm either going to go. How did you get that money? How did you get the money? To do? I was working that summer. I had I had a job. I had so a you really were like, good job. You were like an, an independent kid. My mom had nine kids. Yeah. And I, I moved out of my parents' house with my mom and my stepdad when I was 12 because I was abused. So I ran away. Okay. I moved in with my grandparents. So my grandparents took care of me. My granddad had a great, great, great job. So there was nothing that I needed necessarily mm-hmm. by, by the time I moved with my grandparents. But I had a job. Um, so I saved that money that summer. And I bought a one-way ticket. I I bought it and I said, I'm either going to go to D.C. and succeed or I'm going to go to D.C. and be homeless. But I'm not coming back here. But I'm the going way, to D.C. But I'm it. going and I'm not coming back here the way that I left. Wow. And so I went to D.C., went to Howard, and I bought that ticket and I had a money order for <laughs> the enrollment fee, which was $150. Mm-hmm. Um. I didn't write it out to the university because I didn't have housing. And so when I went into the admissions office, I told the lady, I was like, listen, I got accepted. Freshmen are supposed to be guaranteed housing, but I don't have a housing assignment. And I'm not giving you this $150 because it is the last that I have. Mm -hmm. So if I get housing, here's the enrollment fee. But otherwise, I'm not writing this money order out to Howard University. And she looked at me and she was like, well, if you can't afford the enrollment fee, you can't afford the school trash. And that really motivated me and inspired me that I had to work my ass off. Mm -hmm. And so that freshman year I did, I grinded so hard and it was really difficult. I didn't have a lot of support from my family because I was the first person to go to college and all of that stuff. Um, So they didn't value it for the people who had finances and resources. They didn't value the experience enough to invest in me. And the people who did have some understanding of it didn't have the resources. Mm -hmm. Right. Long story short, at the end of freshman year, I went to 
um, either Walgreens or something like that. And I got a, a thank you card and I signed that thank you card and I went to the admissions office. Wow. And I gave the lady a thank you card. Wow. And she opened it and she was like, oh, this is so nice. I, I don't know what. Why, why are you giving me this? And with my classic Scorpio shade, I said, um, I just wanted to say thank you because I came in here in August of last year. And I only had one hundred and fifty dollars to my name. And you told me that if I couldn't afford to give that one hundred and fifty dollars that I couldn't afford the school. And I just wanted to say thank you because that motivated me all year. And I walked out. <laughs> Shady. But, right. but, Definitely. But I pushed, I grinded really hard. Howard was probably um, one of the most impactful, most beautiful experiences that I've ever had. Yeah. So I lived in DC um, for 10 years. Yeah. And what did you do in those 10 years? In those 10 years, went to Howard, of course. Yeah. I, I was a school teacher yeah. for, oh, wow. for, for a period of time. I taught second grade. Um, for one year and high school for one year um, and I worked on the hill I worked on Capitol yeah. Hill did you love that um, I did love it until like the balance of power changed and there was gridlock because there was you know a split from the Democrats being able to do anything to now being able to do nothing right right Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats lost majority in Congress. So the legislation I was working to get passed, right. we ultimately during that time didn't get passed because the Republicans wouldn't pass it. So that was difficult, but it was good work. It was solid work. Mm -hmm. It taught me a lot. Um, there were some other things professionally that I was doing during that time. And people would always be like, what the hell? Why are you doing that? And I just ignore other people what, what were you they doing were so for instance i was managing um a coffee shop retail mm -hmm. and people were like why are you doing that and i was like look i got this right and what ended up happening was i ended up managing the capitol hill coffee shop and so as i'm working to pass this bill on capitol hill all the legislative staff see members, all these people, every all day. the legislative staff members, wow. and even the Congress persons would come into my coffee Getting shop, coffee. and I would get to talk to them when they would be coming to get their coffee <laughs> mm -hmm. about this piece of legislation that I was the legislative director for an organization right, right. And you to know, pass. And not to say that Howard or your prior schooling didn't prepare you to speak well, but or speak efficiently enough to execute right like in such a short amount of time whatever it is that you want to pass along yeah it's like that would definitely teach you like yeah. how to like spit out something in the moment you gotta and, be ready and remain articulate unnerved and all of those right. things taking and those risks so you've been so you've been getting training for a long time it, it was it, it was some of the best training i ever got at six o'clock in the morning the speaker of the house at six capitol police would come through and sweep our store and then at 607, because it took them like seven minutes, then at 607, the Speaker of the House would come through to get his coffee. And I'm like, the Speaker of the House of Representatives is coming in my store every morning to get coffee. And I had to figure out I gotta do how I could have a conversation right. with him to get some traction with this bill. Years later, all of the tenets of that legislation have been embraced and roped into either legislation or state department policy. Mm -hmm. So it didn't happen then, but it, it eventually happened. So I don't have any misgivings about that. So that's what I did in DC. Um, 
at the end of that time, I was ready to move into entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. But it was time for me to go. I've been in D.C. for 10 years uh, and I used to joke with people that um, I have mastered the art of fighting with God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I know how to fight with God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. I haven't quite figured out how to win yet, but I can fight him. <laughs> um, and so when it was time for me to go to leave D.C., it was one of those things me and God had to fight. So what were you battling with? Um, My own will. Wouldn't Nobody sh- can tell me what to do. Uh uh-uh, I understand. Not even God. Wouldn't it be shady if God was like, oh, yeah, you hear me in the background? I'm on fire. Sorry. <laughs> and and what I had, <laughs> like, I, I, I learned, like, you get further when you co-create with God rather than fight with God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and so I, I think it was necessary for me to have a relationship where I knew God wasn't intimidated with my pushback. God wasn't intimidated with my profanity, Mm -hmm. with my resistance or any of those things. So is this something that you arrived to so that you could cope and understand how you would live with this God or is something that you kind of like always understood? My mother says that when I was a kid, she just knew that she had to allow me to ask questions and act the way that I was because of the independence of spirit that I had. Mm -hmm. Like she couldn't like I can't I can't stop this. So I have to feed it. Right. Yeah. And so she let me ask questions and push back against authority and all of that stuff when I was growing up. And so God was no different. God was just another authority type. Right. Right. Um, And I was never afraid. And, And again, I talk about this often when I when I talk about the relationship with God, um, the science or the research around parenting styles. Mm-hmm. Right. The authoritarian parent, um, the authoritative parent um, and and the other styles. Mm-hmm. The picture that we really get often of God is authoritarian. Mm-hmm. Do what I said or I'm going to destroy you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really unhealthy because it breeds fear and resentment see hold on see because we don't got all deep deep into the topic and he was just giving his intro i yeah. love it i love it I <laughs> but love it's 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 really weaved into yeah, like it is. this it's is this it. is like my my life and so i'm glad now i'm at a point where i get to share this stuff with people yeah and 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 show people to god in a different light mm-hmm. but you know what what is interesting is that because you have this kind of like inquisitive mind yeah and you're and a lot of people a lot of parents hate that yes and to, to the type of parenting styles that you're talking yeah. about was your mother about that was was like that around everything with mm-hmm. you or was it specifically this no 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 because it like, was it was it was most things i questioned why i couldn't call other adults liars okay if you were an adult and you lied you are a liar <laughs> and my mother and i had a whole thing about not calling adults a liar because i said something happened an adult accused me of something. I said, mama, she's lying. She a liar. Mm-hmm. And the woman got like offended. Mm-hmm. And my mother dealt with the situation at the time and, and followed back to have a conversation with me. Right. About why I couldn't say an adult was a liar. I said, well, if you tell a lie, what does that make you? If you tell more than one lie, what does that make you? Mm-hmm. If you're a kid or an adult, what does that make you? You're a liar. And my mother explained to me, well, yes, but because of power dynamics, adults don't like to be affronted by children telling them that they're a liar. I retorted, well, don't lie then. 
she was like i get it you're right right <laughs> but in My order to keep child. in order to keep down these situations where i have to deal with these irate adults you can tell me but just don't even have that conversation with them right mm-hmm. and so she would let me have Whatever these things were, when I was in school, my mother tells this story that we took a standardized test and the answer selections for that test, in my opinion, were wrong. And I stopped in the middle of the test and refused to take the rest of the test. I said, because these answers don't make sense based upon the question and the information that you gave me. I was in like sixth or seventh grade. And. They were like, boy, thousands of kids have taken this test. (laughs) And I'm like, well, thousands of kids just let y'all get away with it. But I'm not. This is wrong. And I didn't finish. Take I I didn't. I like insisted and gave a big deal. I think I initially finished taking the test because I remember getting results back. But I made a big deal so much so that we ended up going to the Board of Education and making them investigate this particular test quietly they reached out to my mom and I and had us come to a meeting it was like you're okay you were right this answer uh selection is kind of askew and and we're gonna adjust it and I was like now you have to tell everybody because <laughs> you're not just gonna you made a big deal out of it when I said something so you're not just gonna tell me in private right you gotta tell everybody and you need to make adjustments for everybody's score that ever took this test, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. And so she let me do that in a number of different areas. I love my that. God right. experience was totally separate from my mom because my mom didn't go to church. I actually would bring her to church, bring my siblings yeah. to church. My God experience was all by myself, but it was birthed out of the type of relationship that I had with my mom. Mm. And so when I talk about the parenting styles, authoritarian parents are like tyrants like authoritarian leaders and that's the view that we get of god rather than authoritative parents who allow space for um people to be inquisitive but draw boundaries because she certainly did that were appropriate and had conversations about these boundaries why Mm -hmm. they were there what they meant what consequences were blah 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 and so my basically offering you options to choose right and so my approach with god was much the same so uh, at at, i'm sorry brother you wanted to go ahead no i just wanted to can you give us a little bit of your background with god and like like what is what do you do like what so what's your background with god so my background with god is i went to a vacation bible school the summer of 1991 we did the journey of paul they put me in the stocks like Paul was. And I was like, I don't ever want to go to jail. Oh, God, I don't want to go to jail. And I need to be saved because I don't want to go to hell either. Yeah, you're and a little so, demon. Sorry. Just- and so at seven, I decided that I needed to be saved and I would never go to jail. At so seven. who took you to church for the first time? I or- went. It was a vacation Bible school. And they were, you mm-hmm, know, the yeah. church, the neighborhood church was a block over from us. And they were inviting the mm-hmm. kids in the neighborhood to go. And it was it was like a family church because mm-hmm. a lot of people on my block, we all grew up knowing each other. Our families grew up together and all of that. So I went to that vacation Bible school and I would go to that church by myself. My grandmother from time to time, uh, my maternal grandmother would take me to church with her. Mm-hmm. And that was a lot of develop- spiritual development, engagement with prayer and, and the Bible and things like that. 
Mm, okay. So uh, a a funny story that that I'll tell. Um, I never knew that my mom had any consciousness of God or anything mm-hmm. as far as like my relationship because she didn't go to church. So later in my life, um, after I've been so my first ministry assignment, I was eight years old and I was on the intercessory prayer team. By the time I was eight, nine, I knew I was going to become a minister. Um, wow. 18. I preached my first sermon at 11 or 12. Um, at 18, I was licensed. Um, and September will be two years since I launched a church where I'm the lead pastor. So I was having a conversation about my spiritual development with my mom. And I asked my mom, so when did you know that I was going to be a preacher? And she was like, well, I always knew. And then she was like, well, no, 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 not always. When I was pregnant with your older brother, I prayed to God that I wanted my son to be a preacher because I wanted my children to have a better relationship with God than the one we had. She said, so I had your brother um, and then I got pregnant with you and it became clear to me when your brother was two or three and you were like one that it wasn't going to be your brother, but it would be you. I was like, what? How did she know that? She she said she just knew she knew that there was something about me as a as a baby that was different. And that she had prayed. And she said the interesting thing was when she said to God, I want my son to be a preacher. She never said, I want my son, Joseph. She just said my son. And she was like, so when it became you, I laughed (laughs) because I wasn't specific. And God still did it anyway. Um, And so like I've had this. Quinn. Hi. Quinn is a mess. Yes, she is. Uh, But I love her. Um, So I had this interesting um, relationship with God where the first part of my development with God was really one to one. Um, I tell people often that I really made my foundation with God around prayer, Mm -hmm. because, again, my first ministry assignment was intercessory prayer. So today, as a lead pastor, as a minister um, and as a mentor to other ministers, I do not trust people who don't have a sufficient like relationship with prayer as ministers. Mm-hmm. If you don't like praying with and for people, if you're never talking about your own prayer life and prayer development, I look at you kind of suspiciously mm. because that's the time where you really get to engage God. And it's not just talking. There's a lot of listening that has to happen. Mm-hmm especially when you're ministering to people, because I can go to God and ask about stuff, but I have to hear what people need and then orient myself that way. Mm -hmm. And if you're never doing that, how can you get up in a church in front of people and say, God told me to say this, but you've never asked God what these people need. I think that maybe that's because, you know, people actually do have a very different version of God. Yeah. So for you, from when you were like little, up until now is god the same thing that god you is thought not it was? the same so who is god and what is god to you who and what see that's interesting i'll have to give analogies because i can't pinpoint one thing or another okay so um i 
I really experienced God as the ultimate animating source of life, mm-hmm. period. Mm-hmm. Everything that is living is powered by something. What is the something? God. So there's that. And then there is, right, if you believe the Genesis narrative that says God breathe into all of us, right, breathe into humanity, and that is why we are living. That's yeah. why, right, then there is God in all of us. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. Right? And so when I talk about different things and, and my approach to humanity, mm-hmm. I have to honor the human the God in each and every one of us. Absolutely. Because there is there's a, a part of God in you, Donovan, a part of God in you, Will, and a part of God of the the Buddhist in mm-hmm. the the you know in Asia. There's a part of God in a Muslim in northern Africa. Right. And I have to honor that. Right. Right. And so I understand God to be that animating source that that makes everything that is living live. Mm-hmm. But God is in all of us. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and so and so that that is like loosely my understanding of God. But um, there is John Shelby Spong is an Anglican bishop who is like really radical. And he was giving a seminar and he drew a circle and said this circle represents all knowledge. Yes. Right. Um, and he asked the the audience, what percentage if this represents all knowledge what percentage of this circle do you think humanity possesses of all knowledge in the mm-hmm. entire universe? Mm-hmm. And so if we're being generous, right, a really generous number would be like 20 percent of all knowledge in all the universe. Mm-hmm. We don't even know if yeah. they're aliens. We yeah, don't yeah, know yeah, why yeah, this absolutely. or that or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right, right? Right, right. And so we got this 20 percent. Yes. He then poses the question, is it possible that the fullness of God? exist in the 80 percent that we don't know mm-hmm. and so i've made room for god existing in that 20 percent, but there's this 80 percent that i don't know and so i don't make a lot of definitives about the nature of god who god is mm-hmm. what god is because i only and i don't even possess the whole 20 percent that all of humanity has right. i only have my little bit and but so, isn't the, i'm sorry like just because we'll, we'll just get into it. Yeah. So isn't that proof then that God is just God is? Because, yes. Because, because the thing is, is like there's no need to limit Yeah. God. There's no need yeah. to. Because even how you say in, in, when you think about the whole universe and you think about you think about the, the, the Tibetan monk, right? Yes. Or we'll take the, you know, the North African um, Arabian, Arab man. And yeah. Amongst all of those people, they know locally things that can heal they know things about the geography that those of us here don't know and and in that way that's so that's a godly thing when you think about being connected if you yeah. think about us you know having that kind of an experience which could be a godly experience which can expand knowing and it makes you think of that 20 percent almost in a different kind of way or what or like you said that 80 percent of who the fuck knows a lot of that probably has to do with the fact like we don't we have so many definitions of God, like you said, mm-hmm. where we put a lid in a box. Mm-hmm. So we box ourselves in. Yeah. And that's how, to me, that, that that's proof that there is, you know, something bigger and better out there. You know, kind of like you said, orchestrating or what did you say? Animating and yeah. animation. Yeah. Which I love, by the yeah. way. But 
it's, it's to me it's just proof that that is true and and so here's the here's here's an example that i give often when i talk about my mom i really i really enjoy my parents and and how they've contributed to my growth and development mm-hmm. so when i when i came out to my mom um, we were in DC, um, uh, at 18, there was an experience that forced me out a bit, um, forced at, you out of, out of the closet as, what, a, what do you mean as a gay oh, man. Yeah, you're gay. Right? Yeah, okay. So that experience happened at 18 and the summer, right before I went to Howard and I, I was like, Oh God, I have to figure out how to fuck do it. Oh shit. How do I deal with it? Oh, it's a phase. Mommy, it's just a phase. I use that one too. Right? So 18, I told her it was phase. <laughs> it was a good one. Uh, three years later, my mom would come and visit me at Howard for, for stuff and hang out and stuff like that. So three years later, I'm 21. You still phasing, um, huh? Right. I'm not. I'm not. So I had a had a boyfriend that I was dating. I was madly in love. This was going to be the man that I was going to marry. Mm-hmm. Um, and so i prepped him for weeks my mom is coming i'm going to tell her i'm gay and i'm going to tell her you are my boyfriend and i'm so my mom comes Mm. and so we planned this whole thing and i'm like so i'm gonna talk to her first at dinner and then you're gonna come in the restaurant and then i'll introduce her and all this whole scenario right Mm -hmm. so i have this whole conversation mommy i've really grown i'm really proud of myself i've done a great job at this whole college thing in life and you know i'm i'm really proud of the decisions i made and you know phases generally don't last three years <laughs> so i think i'm gay and i'm probably gonna marry a boy as a matter mm. of fact here he comes right now <laughs> and he comes in and he kisses here's me. your son-in-law right. and That's my mom and my mom says i need a fucking drink <laughs> and i wow. lost it I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. What is happening? Because my entire life, I'd never seen my mother drink alcohol. Wow. And so at 21, I just told her I'm gay and I'm going to marry a man. And she says, I need a fucking drink. So you thought you made your alcoholic? Yes. I thought I turned her to alcohol. So she calls the server over and she orders a drink. And I'm like, wow. And she's like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, mommy, it's not that bad. It's not that serious. Like, I'm not dying. I'm not like a terrorist. Like, and she was like, I'm like, why, why would you drink because of this? And she was like, boy, I've been drinking your whole life. I just never let my kids see me drink <laughs> or I never let my kids know that I drank. <laughs> now, now, here's the thing. Hilarious. Here's the thing, right? I tell this story to illustrate if you know me and know how close I am with my mom, even after our trauma and after the time we spent apart, how close we are now as friends and how close we were before that, I would bet my life on any detail of my mother's life, including the fact that she did not drink because I knew her that well. Mm -hmm. And then at 21, I find out a part of my mom that I never knew as close as we were. Mm -hmm. And so if that can happen with me and my mom, how arrogant is it of us to assume that we know so much about God? Mm -hmm. And that right there begin to shed these layers and these markers and these limitations that I placed on God. You know what's so interesting? about your story so far that I'm hearing is that 
the 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 theme of you just being this personality that can take something from being outside of the mind and you can make it very pragmatic or you can have a pragmatic approach yeah and it's very like no it's very very logical you just you seem to just it's a thread even in the way that you approach that situation it's very much like well if we think about god as this outside source thing but you can liken that to your actual mom and Mm -hmm. i think that oftentimes people have a really really hard time thinking about god in that context because god only sees you when it's convenient Right, like God only, you know, punishes other people, but not me. Or you know what I mean? Like it's, they take away those human things away from God. But you seem to have been—you've always thought about God in that way. Mm-hmm. It's what get Jesus. It's what gets Jesus into trouble. Him saying that he is God's son. Mm-hmm. The the assuming such a familiar and close relationship with God mm-hmm. is what offends other people. the religious leaders. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Who the hell do you think you are to have such a title to say that you right. are God's son, what? God's heir. Yeah. It's what gets Jesus in trouble. Yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. often what gets me in trouble because I purport exactly. in the same way. Exactly. Right. I know who God is. And so I don't care what you think. I really don't care what you have to say. I'm, I'm God's son and my dad owns the company. So this all is mine. All of this belongs to me. (laughs) Right. You know, what's so cool about that? You know, oftentimes, you know, here we'll talk about God. We'll talk about God like in any episode. And we're always like, did we talk about, did we do a God episode? And we realize that we've just been talking about God all the way through. And just like you, I, I, I feel very, very similarly about the relationship with God from when I was very, very young, it was a very personal, it very much was a physical, I feel it, energy type of relationship. And then I would say through the educational process of learning who God is through the church, it became something so far removed from what I understood in the moments when I felt God or felt something bigger and better than me touch me and give me the feeling that I hadn't experienced otherwise. And it's something that I had to come back to as an adult where it's I realize like wow like in our civilization God is just such a white man and that's and right <laughs> that can't it's, possibly it's have created it's, it, it, the it doesn't even make logical sense man that I, exactly it doesn't even make way, logical sense yeah that, that that we have this image of a white Michelangelo but, but, style but also, Jesus but also the way, not only the way that he looks. In the way that he, he presents himself, but in his actions, in his in his jealousy, right. in his it's problematic. In, in his uh, patriarchal way of doing things, you know. So how did you, as a pastor, right, as mm-hmm. a gay black man, yeah. as a person who cusses, as someone who comes on the grapevine and has to push back on people when the churchly way is to say something, you know, nice in the scripture, you know, how have you reconciled? the way that you have been ever since a child, you've been a child in a culture, in a church culture that is predicated on a lot of false leanness. How did you, how do you, how did you maneuver that? And at this point, what is your kind of like motto? What's, what so, do you live by? So I had to navigate that space, um, closeted for a long time mm. because when I came into the consciousness, the full consciousness that I was gay, um, it conflicted with a lot of what I was getting from other people, not mm. the experience that I had 
with God from the time I was seven. Right. But what other people were saying about God. They were putting on to you. Yeah. And and when I had to reconcile my sexuality, um, I'll, I'll, I'll tell this part about myself. Um, I believe that I, I hear God's voice just as clearly as I hear yours or anyone else's. Yeah. I've always had that experience. That's been my experience with God. And so when I was wrestling with this whole, is it sinful for me to be gay thing? One of the things that I had to do was really go inward Mm -hmm. and listen Mm -hmm. to see whose voice I was hearing as it related to all of this condemnation. And it did not sound like the voice that I had become familiar with from seven to present day. Mm -hmm. And how old were you at this point? I was in my I was in my twenties, twenty one, twenty two, twenty three. Right, mm-hmm. and was this um, was struggled. this realization over a course of years or was yeah, it, okay. it came it came in layers over over years because um, the first part of undergrad at Howard eighteen nineteen twenty was really struggling to make my way because I had not existed as a gay man in any capacity. So the DL time and the discreet yeah. portion of my life to the open to people who it's important and I'll answer if you ask right, um, but yeah. it's not a big deal to the I am who I am to the now where I exist as I exist and if you gonna come into my world you get all of it so where were you what where were you at at that time at, where you were like okay I can't do this anymore at it it, it came at the end of that this because I was living dishonestly, mm-hmm. right? Um, and there were there were a lot of people who didn't know I was gay. It wasn't that I was dating women or doing anything like that. I only dated one young lady during the time I was in college. Um, and she, at some point, we had a conversation. And so she knew. Um, but internally, there was this conflict that was going on. And so I write in the book about when I wanted to commit suicide. Mm. Because... Um, this internal conflict of feeling like I was hated by God and that I was going to hell um, and that I would die and all of the things that wicked people who operate in religious spaces say and which is completely opposite of how you're yeah. supposed to feel yeah but I and, and all the promises that God had spoken over my life and that people had said to me all of that was in conflict, especially because I was going through stuff in my relationship with the guys, with the young man that I was dating that threw my life in an uproar. And the place that I had been able to turn when my life would go into an uproar was God. But now I could not because this was antithetical to who God was. So if there was no solution, I may as well just kill myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when that didn't happen, Um, When the suicidal ideations passed, when that penultimate event occurred, coming out of that, me and God had to go back to the wrestling and the fighting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I had to deal with um, what does scripture say and what do I believe Mm -hmm. about what scripture says? Now, during the during the time when you felt, you know, you had those ideas, those suicidal thoughts. What was it that got you to a place where you were like, well, I'm going to turn to wrestling as opposed to staying in that space? So I um, 
I write about this in the book. And what's the name of your book, by the way? The name of the book is called Counterculture. It's the Counterculture Devotional. Awesome. Uh, uh, the journey to being the person God created you to be. I love that. Mm. We're going to get more into that, but yeah. yeah. And so what happened was I got to the point I'm like linear rationalization yeah. is a part of my life. Okay. And so I decided I was going to commit suicide, but I couldn't be like these stupid ass people who went to commit suicide and then were unsuccessful. Like you are so wholly unsuccessful. You can't even kill yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. Like you're completely useless. And I couldn't be that person. Mm -hmm. So I mapped it out. I really planned it. I researched how you can kill yourself effectively. What do people do that doesn't work and get discovered? And now you got to get in the, you know, the jacket with the straps on it and you go to a mental facility. I didn't want to deal with any of that. I wanted to kill myself. We had to be successful. Mm -hmm. So I wrote out letters to people that I loved and said all the things that, that I wanted to say. And I had a plan for how I would kill myself. Um, sometimes when people cut themselves, cutters, they cut themselves just to bleed, right? Mm -hmm, yeah. And when you cut yourself, depending on how you do it, your body clots yep. so that you don't bleed out. I wasn't going to do that. I was going to go under the vein and rip up so that I would really bleed out. And this was the plan. And so I ridden, I cleaned up the house because I didn't want anybody to discover me in this dirty, messy ass house dead. So I cleaned up. You're so thoughtful. Yeah, I cleaned up. I wrote the letters, um, hand wrote them, uh, put them in envelopes and labeled them individually and stacked them on my dresser. Mm -hmm. And I sat down on my bed. Um, I'd taken some um, pain pills uh, just to like numb my senses so that I wasn't overly nervous and I was relaxed. I took uh, the, the lidocaine or novocaine, whatever it was I had for a toothache, and I applied it to my skin to kind of numb that. I sat down in this bed with the knife and I was going to I was I was right there, right at the moment. And I said, God, if any of this shit that you ever said was true, you better do something right now. And simultaneously, the phone in my apartment rang and God started speaking and flooding my mind with every promise, every bit of inspiration every affirmation that i had ever heard spoken over my life and it stopped me in my tracks mm -hmm. and so i picked up the phone and it was my best friend mm -hmm. calling my house phone that no one ever called mm -hmm. and it was that intervention that stopped me there but after we talked great i've been stopped mm -hmm. i'm not gonna do that because obviously god cares thanks god um Hey God. Right. <laughs> shout out shout out to God. Shout shout out out to to um and so after that, I had to come to some type of mm -hmm. reconciliation of what was going on. Yeah. And so that began the battling. And so I had I had religious scholars who were my mentors, like super close to me. I just want to shout this out one more time. That this theme of you being the kind of person who physically has an experience that normally is this outsidey, outsidey experience yeah. that we have, it seems to be very consistent with mm -hmm. your existence. Yeah, which it, is very interesting. It is, and it, and it's why my life to some people looks crazy, but I've learned to just go with that. Yeah, 
right? Very cool. And so I had I had mentors who are like high key, notar- like world renowned religious scholars. Mm-hmm. And so I started pushing them in conversations about yeah. my sexuality and about God. Mm-hmm. And I remember having a conversation um, with a uh, with a mentor of mine, he quoted um, a French theologian, Pierre Tillyard de Chardin. Mm-hmm. And Chardin says, we are not uh, human beings having a temporary spiritual experience, but we are spiritual beings having a temporary human experience. Mm-hmm. Yes, I've heard that. Before. Um, yeah. And so I said, OK, got that part. So I asked my mentor at its core, what is love? Mm-hmm. Is love a physical, emotional, or a spiritual experience? What is that? And we agree that at its purest sense, love is spiritual. It is a spiritual exchange. Mm-hmm. I said, okay. And so love looks like this, 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 and this. Is that right? He said, yes. I said, so in the context of a relationship um, with someone, those things are appropriate. Is that right? He said, yes. I said, and we can agree that the exchange of love between two people is a spiritual exchange. He said, yes. I said, well, then how does it make sense to you that something that is temporal, my body, then determines my existential destination Mm. based upon something we all agree is temporal fleeting and seemingly ultimately meaningless Mm -hmm. that my outward genitalia and her inward genitalia would determine whether or not God loved me enough to condemn me to what I thought then was hell. Mm -hmm. And what did he have to say to that? I I appreciate. and, And this is not, this is not a person who ever fronted with me. Mm. I appreciate, he said, I don't have an answer for you. That's something I'm going to have to struggle with now. Because I said to him, all of the context that I laid out for a loving relationship, you agreed were appropriate, mm-hmm. except that when exchanged with someone else who has an outward genitalia, then it becomes sinful when we agree that our bodies don't really mean as much stake as we put into them. And love is a spiritual exchange right. and that I've experienced love with a woman the same way that I've experienced love with this man. Right. And he said, I'm not going to give you an out and tell you that it's OK. Yeah. I'm going to be honest and say, I don't have the answer. And I said, I can deal with that. We can we can work. If you're being honest with me yeah. and you're not trying to put on mm-hmm. like we can continue this relationship. <laughs> right. And so this is somebody who like knows he had a Ph.D. in Greek and Hebrew studies. Mm-hmm. Brilliant man as it related to biblical texts, biblical history. Yeah. Um, read uh, Hebrew and spoke Hebrew, read Greek and spoke Greek. He would talk to us sometimes Mm -hmm. and just start like brilliant man. Yeah. And that in that moment, he paused and said, I don't have the answer. Said, "Okay, I can deal with that. Mm -hmm. And so that was that first layer. 
Um, and then I moved from there to to pushing back and learning more about scripture. Did you feel like being able to do it with somebody who was so close to you and so knowledgeable was like, I don't know, I, I would say breaking the lid, like off of being able to move further and further and further. It was. I mean, you've been doing it prior to, it, don't get it, me wrong. But, but. but when when it happened in that moment, I don't know anybody more brilliant than Louis Marco Anthony, mm-hmm. not met a soul on the earth. Mm-hmm. The most brilliant man I've ever met. Not only that, the compassion that he has is is the only thing that comes close mm-hmm. to how brilliant he is. Mm. If there is a battle between the two, that's what it is. That's a pretty awesome battle. Yeah. <laughs> and so having mm. that relationship with him over years where we got to that point, um, and his honesty, because he saw my transition, he saw my wrestling, and I believe because of our proximity to each other, it changed and challenged him as well. Right. Um, he never came out and made any proclamations um, about what he thought about homosexuality and the intersection of spirituality. But how he interacted with me and other people after that certainly changed. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it meant a great deal to me that I had that experience with him. Yeah. And I needed it because I it couldn't be some uninformed person who who was just spouting religious doctrine and had nothing to to weigh that down with. Mm -hmm. It wasn't weighted. This is like an intellectual titan. And to get to that point with him. I said, I I'm. I'm obviously onto something. Yeah. I'm definitely. on the right track. Yeah. And 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 it was the okay, it was him stepping out of the way mm-hmm. and saying, continue down this path. Yeah. And what's great about that is it's not only growth for you, it's growth for him and, yeah. and growth for both of the communities that you serve. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because Absolutely. that's like intellectual just so wealth you know like being able to again step outside and and have that honest exchange with one another and even for him to be like you know what thank you for putting this on me but now i gotta (laughs) struggle with this yeah you know this might take some work and and that is kind of what it's about because when we talk about doing the work it's about embracing all of the work not just saying i'm gonna do the work and only work in these areas Mm. that make me feel comfortable but again knowing who you are knowing the relationship that he has with you it's it's great to see that there are people in those spaces that are embracing like that and 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 allowing you to be able to grow and and not condemning you in those ways and i knew enough that i didn't need to push him right because it would break something there would be resistance Mm mm-hmm I, I felt that. And so we never had that conversation again. I let him wrestle with that in whatever way he was going to wrestle with that with God. Yeah. But when I knew there was a turning point was when um, I got to the point that I was sure that I was going to launch um, a church. And I had been serving in ministry in different capacities for probably about 10 years but at every turn, I was denied the opportunity to be ordained. Mm-hmm. And that's something that a lot of queer people who operate in church spaces know that they have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Either you play the game 
and you and live what does in that dis- mean? Okay. You, and you live in dishonesty mm-hmm. so that people can say, well, Corey has never said he's gay. That's not, we, we don't know that for like a fact. Like leaving reasonable doubt, yeah. essentially. Yeah, right? you had to do that okay. so that you could get what you needed, ordination, position, opportunity, or you could take my path and be ostracized, or you could take the path of going to the affirming ministry side, right, where there are um, denominations that are gay um, and queer affirming. Mm-hmm. And so I wasn't going to do those things. And I and I can talk a little more about why I decided not to do that. But but it, I was going to launch this church and I needed to be ordained. Um, and I was really wrestling with that. And the pastor of the church that I had served with for the longest period of time during undergrad, um, there were a number of instances where things happened where the opportunity for me to be ordained, the window closed. Mm -hmm. And then when I was not there, the window opened and the people that were there were kind of rushed through. Um, wow. And then when I got back, oh, window closed. Ooh, it was like this window is of SpongeBob where he couldn't catch that bus. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. And so, and so um, that went on. And then there were other things. Um, and then there are denominational rules about getting ordained and this denomination, yada, 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 and all of those different things. And so I was wrestling with it. So many rules. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Denomination, denomination, contemplation, wow. proclamation. I become God weird. comes with a lot of it's rules. It's a lot. So and many so, rules. And so um, I had some meetings with my mentors, with Dr. Anthony. Um, and this is the first time I'm talking about this part of our relationship publicly. Uh, he passed in um, 2017, mm. I believe. Um, it was around the time that Donovan, I referred to as the funeral Olympics, when I had I all of those funerals. Mm-hmm. Dr. Anthony passed in 2017, in the spring of 2017. Um, but we were, I was really, I said, you know, I got to a point where I was like, this is what God called me to do. And I really don't care what people think about it. But legally, ordination is a thing, right? Governmentally, blah, blah, blah. And so it's got to be something that has to be done. And I have to figure it out. But it wasn't going to happen the way that I thought it was. And what I said to him was that I felt like um, I was being denied the wedding. And not only was I being denied the, the wedding, but even if I had the wedding, my father wouldn't be there to give me away. Mm-hmm. And unbeknownst to me, Dr. Anthony reached out to two other mentors of mine who were in different denominations Mm -hmm. and spoke with them and they agreed that they would do something that was really radical which was to operate outside of the auspices of their denominations Mm -hmm. and the three of them would come together to ordain me collectively Mm -hmm. as my spiritual fathers or mentors that they would do it themselves Mm -hmm. collectively because they had saw my journey and knew that this is what I was called and created to do. Wow. Yeah. And so Dr. Anthony said to me, you have a year to figure out how we will orchestrate this. Before that year came, I reached back out to him and I said to him, because of how I have experienced ordination and because of the way that I am structuring Transformers Church Chicago, 
I appreciate how gracious this offer from you was, but I'm not going to do it that way. And I outlined how TCC believes ordination should look like. That reflects Mm -hmm. what I believe we should be doing when somebody comes to us and says, I feel like God has called me to ministry. Mm -hmm. It's not for me. It's not for me to agree and say, as your pastor, "Mm, yeah, I I agree. Or, "Mm, no, I don't think so. I don't think you're ready. But when somebody presents and says to me, I feel like this is what God has created me, called me, told me to do, that my responsibility is to become a Sherpa and to guide you up this mountain. Mm -hmm. That's it. And so we lay out a structure um, that I refer to as the guided journey to ordination, Mm -hmm. where we pair you with three clergy people and three lay people for 18 months. And you have to work through ministry. What ministry looks like in real life. Yeah. In partnership with these people that are both pastors, ministers and lay people serving lay people who need. And you journey with those six people to ordination. Mm -hmm. And at the end of that period, those six people will say not we agree that he should be ordained, but we've journeyed with him. We've walked this path and we feel like at this point he is ready to move to whatever step is next. And that's what ordination has to look like, not the political gamesmanship Mm -hmm. and show that it's looked like for so many people. Because it it also seems like from what I I'm hearing there's like a it could be a power thing involved. It's it's all it's a power dynamic. One of the things that to be able to be like, "Mm, no, I don't think you're ready. Like I, you know I, I knew mean? a pastor. I knew a pastor who got into it with the number of ministers that left his church, and he floated letters after them rescinding their ordination. Excuse me. And so, li- legally, that is legally that is permissible. How? Because ordination is that like within a certain amount of time? No. If I ordain you, yeah, I can rescind your ordination. I don't know. I can say true. you are no longer. I'm telling you. No, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm talking about I'm, Jesus and everybody. But, I don't know everybody. But Jesus, how many people did Jesus ordain? I don't know. Zero. Oh. Jesus made disciples. Yeah, it just doesn't make any That's sense it. to me. And so all of this ordination stuff comes later as a byproduct of somebody else's creation and right. system. Yeah. I'm just like, it's, it's and, and I know who it is. I know who it is. And it is a person who attempts to execute control and exactly. structure over the church that he is trying to build. Paul said it for everybody who's wondering who I'm talking about and everybody who's always like, oh, he's always coming for Paul. No, what? okay, can I, I will jump in and I will say that coming up, yeah. A lot of the stories that I heard in church mm-hmm. that just sounded absolutely preposterous mm-hmm. were always Paul. Yes. Always. Howard including Thurman. the queer stuff, which we're going to get into. Yeah. But Howard, it was very much Paul. Howard Thurman's grandmother. Howard Thurman is a sage mystic and theologian par excellence. He was the dean of the chapel of Howard for a long period of time. Howard Thurman's grandmother was a slave and she was emancipated, but she was illiterate. She would tell her grandson to read the Bible to him, to her rather. Mm -hmm. And she would tell him, you can read me anything, but don't read me that Paul, because that's what the slave master would read to us. Exactly. To get us to do what? Exactly. And the only thing that she allowed him to read 
that was Paul was first Corinthians 13, where Paul talks about love. Okay. Other than that, Paul was X'd out. Wow. Um, and I get that. And, That's I, a good and side I've, note. And I've told you, <laughs> For real. yeah, right. right. And I, and I've told you before, like it, we can have in depth conversations about biblical texts and scholarship that are more than I can ever do on the grapevine. Yeah. More than I can ever do on one single podcast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because there's so much that you have to know when you approach scripture. Yeah. That if you don't, my grandmother used to say, don't argue with a fool because from the distance, nobody can tell who the fool I is. I was just telling somebody it's about true. your grandmother it's and true, that though. story. I, yeah. I literally tell people that story. Because if you see two people in a distance, Doing neck too much. Neck you can look at going, these dumbasses, and you, you just you don't know what's happening. No yeah. questions. You, you drive, like, you driving by, and they just going. You don't know who's idiots. you don't know who's right, who's wrong, and so when people want to have conversations about scripture and scholarship and theology with me, if you have not arrived at the conversation with some time on task, I'm not gonna argue with a fool because mm-hmm. from the distance, can't nobody tell who the fool is. Mm-hmm. With all my knowledge and all my uh, resources and all my scholarship and all the time I've spent to learn and grow and all of these things and I'm arguing with you who only knows what your mama told you because her mama told her because her mama told her <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm right. the fool right. we know who the fool in the argument is me because I know I know more but I'm gonna argue with you word that's dumb but listen so how do you how do you how do you well I'm sure now it's probably easier because I remember when the, once upon a time I guess you know like two three years now since you were like first appeared on the grapevine that was definitely something that came pouring back at you were people who grew up with their mommies daddies cousins aunties and grandmother's church pastor who told them uh-huh. that the gays belong in a handbasket at the pit of hell eating right? ice cubes yeah yeah right yeah. like this is the destiny this is your destiny yeah. and you as a pastor how dare you get up in front of people and tell people about how uh, how much of a good pastor you are and like men you know yeah so if there is like, you remember that that person who put on Instagram like, oh, you know, like you guys need to do a like talk yeah, about this, yeah, and yeah. I and I tagged you. Yeah, I would definitely say that we could probably like do a series over this, but mm-hmm. we can start. You can start wherever you want to start, but I would love to know from the process of actually being a scholar in this area and understanding mm-hmm. what these texts mean, where they come mm-hmm. from, context to these to, yeah. to these things, and and what exactly it means to take something out of the ideas of what we think that they are but what they what they actually mean having that knowledge and coming up with people who are just antagonistic because of the nature of you know the bible and the, the patriarchal culture, way in right. which it's in culture how do you where do you start with people not, so, not the the people who are incredibly ignorant and the people who like your mentor whoever, who are incredi- incredibly whoever where do you my, start? my launching pad is jesus the carpenter mm-hmm. and so i will tell people that i am I I I shy away from the term Christian. Mm-hmm. And why is that? Because it it means a whole lot. Donald Trump says he's a Christian. Mm-hmm. Timothy McVeigh was a Christian. Right. The Crusaders were Christians. But then you can ask the question: right? Is that a Christ thing, and or so, is that wait wait, or is that the people thing? It's it's the people, but it don't matter when the people who are being destroyed only know that Christians were destroying them. Mm-hmm. What does it matter to them? The delineation between us. Right. Right. Um, And so I kind of resist that. And I often lead by telling people that I am a disciple of the teachings of Jesus, Mm -hmm. which is totally different than 
just saying I'm a Christian. Here's here's the point. 60 percent or more of the New Testament is written by Paul. Mm -hmm. A small portion is written by the disciples of Jesus. Mm -hmm. The first four books of New Testament are what we call the synoptic gospels that tell the same stories about Jesus. So you got those four books that talk about Jesus's life. Then you got 60% that Paul writes and then whatever percentage that's written by Jesus's disciples, small Mm -hmm. percentage. Mm -hmm. And, and there's a reason for that. Mm -hmm. Most of Jesus's disciples, like most of the people that lived during that time were illiterate, could not read and write. Mm -hmm. Most of Jesus's disciples were either tradesmen like he was a carpenter Mm -hmm. or fishermen. Mm -hmm. There were few of them. Very few of them who could read and write. Yeah. And so Paul does what we know people do all the time when they catch a bid mm-hmm. and got to go to jail for three years. They be writing everybody in their damn mama letters. And Paul goes to jail for three years and just writes letters while he's in prison, while he's on house arrest. Mm-hmm. He just writes, 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 writes. And the disciples who cannot write later respond By saying, wait, he's written all of this stuff. We have to write down these stories because the history of Christianity or the way as it began was an oral tradition Mm -hmm. of the disciples teaching and then their disciples teaching orally. And so they sit down and have people write for them. Peter has someone write his account of Jesus's life for him. And so Paul can write and read. Mm -hmm. And so we get a lot more from him because he can read and write. Mm -hmm. That's the only reason there's more Paul than Peter, Mm -hmm. because Peter presumably was illiterate and couldn't read and write. Mm -hmm. And so there's all that Paul stuff that he wrote. And then the stuff about Jesus that from time to time in very notable ways come into conflict with each other. And if I am going to choose between whether or not I believe Paul or whether or not I believe Jesus, I err on the side of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Can you tell and us so, one of those times? And so that that's where I start at. Okay. One of those See, times. I got into it because I mean, yeah, that was interesting. One mm-hmm. of those times is um, Paul says women should not speak mm-hmm. in church. That women cannot be leaders in church woman if you have a question you go home and you ask your husband mm-hmm. but you don't get to come here and talk That's in this space and interrupt crazy. and today there are still people who believe that women cannot be pastors women cannot oh, be yeah. bishops oh yeah women's women cannot be leaders in church because paul said women be quiet go home and ask your husbands mm-hmm. we don't know shit right and jesus on the other hand, does something very subversive that upsets the apple cart. Paul diminishes women and Jesus elevates them. How did Jesus do that? There's a woman who is sick and he breaks the rules to heal her on the Sabbath in the temple. Problematic anyways. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But then when he talks about her. Were women even allowed in the temple? They were, but they were at the back. Oh, okay. men were okay. in the way that it was set up was the the men of notoriety and stature yes. were in the front 
and then their wives and families behind them and then the poor people behind them and then the sick and infirm in the back near the doors mm -hmm. where you could barely see hear, feel anything mm -hmm. right and jesus sees this woman in the back bent over sick and calls her all the way to the front mm -hmm. upsetting every damn thing mm -hmm. because she was sick and she was a woman mm -hmm. and now she's in the front of the temple mm -hmm. then he heals her breaking the rule about working on the sabbath yeah and when they question him about it, Jesus says something very subversive that you'll miss if you don't know the significance. He says, shall not this daughter of Abraham. The way that patriarchy worked in Jewish uh, tradition mm -hmm. was that all that matter were the sons of Abraham. Yes. Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Yeah. And then Jacob's sons, the 12 tribes. You don't hear about his daughters. Never. <laughs> you don't hear about the God of Sarah, Rachel, Rebecca. Yeah. You only hear men. Always. And Jesus says, shall not this daughter of Abraham and elevated her to the same status as Abraham's sons. Mm -hmm. So who do you believe here? Jesus. Somebody that elevates women or somebody that diminishes them? Jesus. Right. Elevates when women. when when Jesus in, encounters his disciples who are upset about something the the woman does when she breaks the the box and pours oil on him he tells his disciples shut up chill you don't know nothing about what's going on here mm -hmm. he corrects the men to elevate a woman yeah the first people jesus talked to after his resurrection are women yeah and so who do you believe Paul who says women shouldn't talk or Jesus who elevates and communicates with first, right? That, mm -hmm. that has significance. And so there are instances like that or Jesus who says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Mm -hmm. Right. Or I've come to set them that are captive free. Mm -hmm. And then Paul says, slaves obey your master. Mm -hmm. Right. I've come to set them that are captive mm -hmm. free mm -hmm. slaves obey, obey your masters. masters. Those are contradictory. Absolutely. And so when I started seeing those contradictions and working through them, I was like, nah, I'm going to swerve on Paul. Here's Jesus, whose disciple I profess to be over here. Mm -hmm. And so when you dive deeper into that, Paul talks a lot about sex and sexual immorality and all of these different sure things and, th on and then and then condemns the behaviors and you're going to hell and you're going to burn and all of these other things as opposed to how Jesus deals with sex. It's completely different. Mm -hmm. It's often dismissive. There are like three or four accounts where Jesus has to deal with something around sex. The woman at the well. Jesus says, where's your husband? Woman responds, I don't have no husband. And Jesus says, good, I'm glad you ain't lie to me because you had five and the one you with right now, he isn't your husband. Mm -hmm. That's that's the most he says. It was the lie. That was it. Mm -hmm. It wasn't but, about what you're but, doing. But Paul, right, harps on, now this woman shouldn't have had five husbands. What that, what that points us to is that she was probably a sex worker right who would marry these men for the sake of having sex with them and then they would divorce her 
then she would have sex and marry some marry and have sex with someone else and they would divorce her and then she got to this man and was like we're not gonna play this game we're just gonna keep fucking (laughs) and jesus was like i'm glad you didn't lie to me but he does not browbeat her for what was probably very clear to jesus that she was a sex worker in some regard Mm. but paul would have sent her to hell in a handbasket that's one instance then there's the instance where there's a woman brought to jesus who was caught in the act of adultery and they want to stone her this Mm. is the he who is without sin cast the first stone this is the famous right that's Mm. the famous one but people miss some details there the law which is what i believe jesus scribbled into the ground says if you catch people in adultery catch them in the act because that's what would have had to happen for them to bring this woman is that you bring both the man and the woman to be stoned. Mm -hmm. They only bring a woman to Jesus. How convenient. And Jesus stops and writes something in the ground and says, if you would, we're going to have a stone in the dance. That's fine. That's what the law says. Okay. I'll give y'all that. We supposed to stone them. Right. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Y'all thirsty, but here go the rules. This is what the rules say. And and one by one, they start walking away. And Jesus says to the woman, where are your accusers? She said, they all left. <laughs> Jesus says, OK, don't do that no more, girl. Go ahead. Go all and right, sit no Jesus. more. Go I'll about your way. Later, boo. <laughs> right. He is really dismissive of it. Mm-hmm. The other instance is when they ask Jesus, can a woman get remarried after divorce? And And it's really about the purity and value of women. After she's been sullied, is she as as valuable as she was? Can she marry somebody else? Mm -hmm. Because she's already sullied. And Jesus is like, nah, y'all want to divorce y'all women, y'all wives, for these frivolous reasons. That ain't cool. Mm -hmm. It's manipulative. It's abusive. No. That's it. Mm -hmm. There's no proclamation that you will burn in hell. There's no proclamation that God is punishing you. There's there's none of that with how Jesus handles sexual sins. Mm-hmm. When Jesus gets brolic, when Jesus calls people snakes and vipers, mm-hmm. when Jesus calls people goats and tells them to depart from me, they are generally religious zealots. Mm-hmm. The people who think they know the Bible mm-hmm. and know the scriptures and know God. The people and who want browbeat to, people. And want to browbeat everybody else into submitting. Mm-hmm. That's the people that Jesus goes off on. Yeah. Is mad sarcastic with. Is really dismissive of all the time. Yeah. And so last part is Jesus never ever talks about homosexuality. Mm-hmm. And so what I will tell people is if you are a disciple of Jesus, this is what I would admonish you to do. To spend your time and your energy concentrating on the things that Jesus said that we should be spending our time and energy on. Mm -hmm. And when you have mastered those, when you have conquered all of those, then we can move on to something else. But if you haven't the foundation, if you haven't, we got to stay right here at loving your neighbor Mm -hmm. at minding your business, because I have a a spot in my eye and you got a beam hanging out of yours. Yeah. Right. You got to master all of those things first and then we can move to something else. 
and people be like, now, now, because that back. No, 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 no. I'm just telling you what Jesus said. Because let me just tell you, like, even within the amount that you just told between like these four stories, people will not even be able to go into depth as much as you have people don't know what they're reading have you ever been in church like i know that i grew up in a very very old school to this day <laughs> old school the thou walketh down the thou thou everybody got pregnant before they were supposed to get pregnant you over there sleeping with men and you married to that girl mm-hmm. what are y'all doing it's it's like yeah. it's like it's it's become like a prison it's for people who are illiterate not necessarily not able to read the words but illiterate spiritually not able to understand themselves so how can they fully understand anything and theolog- else and, th- and, and and when it comes to theology i don't feel like people take it that seriously in theological circles we refer to that as uninterrogated yeah inherited theology yeah very 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 push back against it yeah you haven't made it answer any hard questions yeah you have just inherited it yeah Mm -hmm. and that's what you get in church because when you push back and ask why well why Mm -hmm. and they give a partial answer well why well because god's no 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 sir Mm -hmm. that's when you were when when your theology hasn't been interrogated and yeah. you don't have any answers yeah and all you can rely on is it's what i've been taught yeah you haven't investigated right. it for yourself yeah you haven't tried it out or put it up against any pressure yeah and so that's what my life has been when people ask me questions about stuff theologically or spiritually and i'd be like well i don't know wow or i'll be like i don't know and why is that important mm-hmm so I just really quickly, um, what kind of advice would you give to because for me, the work that you do is very important. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have a lot of like to your point, a lot of leaders who are not spiritually connected the way that they should be mm-hmm. um, based off of, of your story. So what do you tell those people? Because these people are like leading <laughs> kids and I, leading like people's lives. So. Like I mean, not everyone can have the type of you know openness as um, your pastor. Yeah, my mentor, your mentor that yeah. you talked about. But what what could, what could you say to these people that are leading lives about just their perspective and their perception of like who God is and like, and also what do you say to people, little us's who are in the church? little gay us is that in the church trying to figure out who we are yeah with all of these leaders leading us down these paths mm-hmm. of, de- of destruction <laughs> yeah, really because question. i i can i can answer that in what may seem a flippant way i don't have much to say to them mm-hmm. because if you don't have a willingness and an openness i'm that fool arguing with another fool. <laughs> because you know you mentioned that your mentor was compassionate like yeah you remember you said if he would, yeah. if it would just be like you know inter- like yeah. a fight yeah between his like you know yeah his and compassion. so and so i don't have much to say to them i have to continue to do the work that i'm doing and encourage other people who know better and and who are struggling with can i survive in this arena and be authentic right Mm -hmm. because i know pastors and ministers and people who have mdivs that know these things but are afraid to go before congregations and church bodies and their friends and family and walk in their authenticity i can continue to encourage them and continue doing the work that i'm doing and pray for those other people but i'm not going 
engage in a theological pissing contest with you. Mm-hmm. There's no mm-hmm. point in that. Yeah. I'll just be wasting my time and my energy and getting upset. Right. I have a dear friend of mine who who specializes as a therapist in religious trauma syndrome. Whoa. And and I encourage people. <laughs> yeah. We need yeah. that. We need and a lot I encourage, of that. I encourage. I would encourage people to seek her out. And, and what is people. her name? Her name is Kendra Frazier. And how can um, they find her? Kendra is the director of the Hope Center in Harlem, which is a free mental health clinic um, sponsored and paid for by First Corinthian Baptist Church in Harlem. Mm-hmm. Um, all of their services are free. They have um, professional license um psychiatrist psychologist therapist let me um and kendra specializes in religious trauma syndrome and there are other people who specialize in that because we know that the church has been damaging to people i say this all the time and you know this is for me my spiritual journey my religious journey has been a little bit different too just because i wasn't necessarily raised in the church it was something that you know i kind of sought after because i felt like i needed something spiritually to go on so i was like oh well i know that there's something higher and i need to figure it out so i kind of placed myself in the church but then realized it really wasn't so because i think about and the reason why i say this is so real because i don't know if you guys you've talked about you've experienced a little bit i just really remember being a child you know a child who's supposed to be worrying about my addition was worried about playing outside <laughs> i'm supposed to be worried about the new video game you worried about hell i'm worried about god uh, praying to god every night please take this disease away from me please oh, take thank this you will out of me Ooh, thank please you. make me thank normal you. like thank you and when i think about that type of trauma of a kid a, mm-hmm. a kid thinking mm-hmm. about the, like that's some real adult things to do yeah. and, we, and, we, and i i think george mentioned it on the grapevine the other day but being a 10 year old a gay black 10 year old and you're already thinking about survival tactics yeah. on how to live life like there's, you're there's already so catapulted into such yeah. adulthood like you're actually sure. thinking about how i'm going to survive the streets For when sure. i need to be worried about like i should be worrying about like little kid shit yeah yeah it's crazy i'm glad you brought that up because the other thing was um i have another colleague that of mine I think he wrote his master's thesis in divinity school or a part of it um, entitled how many times has a gay man prayed. Hmm. Right. And so remember, I told you guys that my first ministry assignment and what I valued most was prayer. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I told people as I journeyed. Right. And I'm forgetting some of these parts because they have just become a part of me now um, that I would pray. Um, for people and things will happen. Mm-hmm. And so over my life, I've seen God answer thousands, if not millions of prayers hmm. that God answers thousands, if not millions of prayers that God answers thousands, if not millions of prayers. But there, well, was, one prayer. <laughs> there was one prayer that God seems yeah. that God is either impotent or allergic to right here because because the gays have prayed this prayer consistently with the same result yes and as a community okay contrary contrary to this pray the gay away and and we can whatever that's a whole other and so i prayed and i prayed and i prayed to the same god who i've seen in my own life answer thousands if not millions of prayers 
that I didn't want to be gay. I prayed to that same God that had shown and demonstrated a track record of answering thousands, if not millions of prayers who could not, did not, whatever, not this prayer. Mm -hmm. And I came to a conclusion that I didn't get an answer. Right. I didn't get the pretty little Paul, uh, the thorn in your side. My grace is sufficient. God didn't. There wasn't none of that. I said, okay, God hasn't done it and God hasn't answered. So there is one or two possibilities. One is, ladies and gentlemen, we have discovered the limits of God's power. It is as if God says, I can do everything else. But this fix your gay shit, right? Can't do that. It's stop, sorry, it's sorry. A, it's stop such a It's dick. above me. It's stop such a. It's dick. above me. It's above me now. It's above me now. It's as if God said that, or God is not concerned with it. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna have to take and the s- second one. And mm-hmm. so, and so, I can spend my life pouring all of this energy into something that God is not concerned with. Or I can just live my life mm-hmm. because I don't believe that this is the limit of God's power. Right, exactly. I don't not. believe that. Please. So the alternative is God is not concerned with it in the way that people have made God out to be. And if God is not concerned with it, then I'm not going to be concerned with it. And when God decides God wants to have a conversation with me about it, he I'm will. open, willing, available, present to the conversation mm-hmm. here to four. Mm-hmm. That conversation in the way that some people would like for God to have had that conversation with me has not happened. Mm-hmm. I don't believe I'm going to hell if hell exists mm-hmm. because I'm not even I, I'm probably more on the side of believing that that is made up to. Mm-hmm. Is that a Paul thing? Mm, yes. A lot of it. Yeah. A lot Paul of it is. A lot of it is. And and a lot of it is poor scholarship and understanding because people will point back to Jesus making one statement where he says it's better for you to tie a millstone around your neck and be thrown into the lake of fire, hell, than to harm one of these children. And so people think Jesus is referring then to hell. Yeah. Except sure. Jesus is not. Jesus is referring to Gehenna, a place where there was a d- garbage dump and they burned all the garbage because they didn't have garbage treatment like we do. And it was disgusting smelling and pits of garbage that just burned. And and they referred to it as the lake of fire. Mm-hmm. And Jesus says it's better for you to be thrown into that than to hurt a child. Mm-hmm. And so that example of Jesus saying something about hell doesn't even mean what people have made it out to me. Right. But that requires you to do scholarship. Mm-hmm. And so if hell exists and I get sent there, I'm sure God has a top 10 list, had nine reasons and then decided, oh, wait, I need one more. Oh, you were gay. Let me write. <laughs> let me add that one. Right. <laughs> Because there would have had to been right. nine other things right prior that. to that one, right? And I'm living my life in such a way that that is not the case. And you know what? Also, I just feel like to Will's point before is that kind of like when you're like when you're navigating your life and yeah. you feel like 
this whole godly thing is supposed to help me and it winds mm-hmm. up tripping you up. Yeah. I think what it does do is it does cause you to like look inward and mm-hmm. it causes you to ask those questions, figure out some answers. Throughout your whole thing, you had this this line of questioning. Yeah. Line of questioning to yourself, line of questioning mm-hmm. to God and what it yields is answers. Someone like you, you hear God's voice in its fullness. Oftentimes, I think God comes through as lessons. Yeah. You know, these are the lessons. This is my voice. This is me telling you over and over and over again, you're doing the wrong thing. And one thing that I want to definitely get to is your book. And I know yes. that it's like a, a culmination of ideas and stories, yeah. anecdotes and things to help people along their way. So can you give us kind of an, a download on what we can expect from your book and why this was important for you to do? So the book, again, is called The Counterculture Devotional the journey to being who God has created you to be. Mm-hmm. And so when I decided I was going to go full throttle into what I felt like God created me to be, do the work that God created me to do, I had to repeat to myself these affirmations so that I would shed all of this baggage that I gained from other people and mm-hmm. other sources along along the journey. And so when I had doubts, I would repeat to myself this thing that we derived at FCBC from Jesus's baptism. Mm-hmm. And I would say to myself over and over again, I don't need anybody else's affirmation or permission to be who God has created me to be. And whenever I had a doubt or something that surfaced Can in my mind. Can you repeat that one more time? Yes, yes. yes. I'm going give to. Give me that, give me that. When, whenever I would have a doubt mm-hmm. Or something that surfaced in my mind about what other people would think about me being this gay pastor, yeah. about me being this or that, I would say, I don't need anybody else's permission or affirmation to be who God has created me to be. Yeah. And I would repeat that. It became a mantra that I would repeat over and over again when I was battling within myself. Right. And then somebody would say something to me to tell me that I couldn't do mm-hmm. or question whether I could do. That's how the universe and then works. I would say to them. I don't need your permission to be who God has created me to be. Mm-hmm. Then I would say if I if I was worried, if I had any questions about whether or not I had God's permission, mm-hmm. that breath in my body was reassurance yes. that God still gave me permission. Amen. Because when God decided he didn't want to grant that permission anymore, I would done. just be dead. And so then sh- assurance I needed was the breath the God source that was already in me Mm -hmm. animating me Mm -hmm. and so I didn't need anybody else's permission or affirmation to be who God created me to be it's beautiful right but along that journey I see that everybody doesn't have that everybody doesn't have somebody to pour into them and give them those affirmations everybody doesn't have an FCBC that's right. Which is an amazing, beautiful space. Yeah. Right. And so I started writing so that I could help guide people on this journey to being who God has created you to be. And so the devotional is 30 days, 30 entries where I start at Genesis. Mm-hmm. The first two instances are in Genesis, but everything else are Jesus's encounters or Jesus's experiences. And I expound on them to encourage people to be who you were created to be. Yes. Right. And I push back on things that we hear and and learn and believe about Jesus. So there's an entry 
in the devotional called Checked about Jesus getting checked by somebody. Mm-hmm. And if you are going to be who you were created to be, there comes a point where you have to be available and open to being corrected. That's right. Even Jesus. Yeah. Right. And so that entry is about your growth. Mm-hmm. When you get checked, how do you respond? Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And Jesus responds. He gives us the example. Right. He pauses and says, "Ooh, you know what? You were right. Mm hmm. Go ahead. That's what you wanted. Thank you. And moves on. Yeah. But it is it is an expansive moment in Jesus's growth and development that we gloss over. Mm-hmm. That this woman checked him. Mm-hmm. A woman. And other people and other people may disagree with my interpretation. Right. That's and fine. They can. Yeah. That's that's fine. But this woman, Jesus tells her no, gives her a reason, and she says, "Oh, but even." You know, it's the story where she wants um, Jesus to heal her daughter. Mm-hmm. And she is making a whole lot of commotion at first. The disciples won't even let her in the house. They're like, get away from here, girl. You're doing too much. Some type of way she get in the house and she making all this noise. And Jesus is ignoring her while she's asking for her daughter to be healed. Like you mad and sensitive right now, bro. She's not asking you for like bless me with a house all the frivolous stuff that we do like her Mm -hmm. daughter is dying she wants you to heal her daughter Mm -hmm. and jesus is just ignoring her like she making all this noise ignoring her and finally he gets tired of it and says okay girl what do you want and she says can you heal my daughter the thing is that she's not jewish Mm -hmm. right she's a canaanite woman Mm -hmm. and jesus says to her um I didn't come for you, for your people, right? It's not good to give the children's bread to the dogs. And some scholars have said Jesus calls her either the equivalent of a nigger mm-hmm. or the equivalent of a bitch. Mm-hmm. Because that's how Jews reflected on Canaanites. Right. With the same type of vitriol mm. of racism. So Jesus says to her. It's not good to give the children's bread to the dogs. You just called this woman and her child who is dying a dog. A nigger bitch. Mm -hmm. And she says she doesn't get offended. She doesn't relent. She says that's fine. But even the dogs get to eat the crumbs. And Jesus, taken aback, (laughs) says, Mm -hmm. baby, you have a lot of faith. You know what? You're right. Your daughter's healed already. Go ahead. And in that moment, we miss that if this woman had just accepted what Jesus said, he would have never been confronted with whether or not you're going to heal this Canaanite woman's daughter or whether you're going to stick to God only called me to help this group of people Mm -hmm. and not this group of people. Mm -hmm. She checks him and immediately in the moment. He responds and changes. Yeah. And How many of us do that? Yeah. And I, actually not enough. And especially people in power. I, yeah. love, I love that story because I think that when it comes to church folks, it's so easily to, it's so easy to judge other people in particular. Yeah. But what's interesting here is that when it comes to a lot of church sins, you know, the sins that we do, cheat mm-hmm. on our wives, all that. Yeah. Prioritizing the, the sins. All of the easy breezy ones. Right. We look at God or Jesus as these perfect things without sins that you can almost never be like. 
But in that particular moment, even Jesus was in a way but, willing to concede mm-hmm. and grow. And in those ways, without that type of humility, without that Jesus-like take on life, which a lot of people in power don't take but claim to be Christian, yeah, what would the world be like if they were able to if grow? We, if we got checked by somebody and we're able to get checked. And, and we're like, hold on. Able you know to what? receive you were right. it. Mm-hmm. I have to change this, right. my actions. And so that's not the only instance, right? And 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 I I do the work of of humanizing Jesus in a way yeah. that I believe has done all of us dis, uh uh injustice. Because if Jesus is this super deity I, that, that I can never achieve, it gives me an out. Absolutely. Right? I ain't Jesus. And still a pass to judge. And still a pass to judge. Right? Yeah. And so I bring Jesus down to this level where he interacts with his friends and the people around him in a very human way. Mm -hmm. And so there's another entry called Insecure, Mm -hmm. where Jesus has been doing his ministry and all of these different things and is close to the end of his life. And he says to his disciples, yo, who are people saying that I am? And I asked the question, who cares about that other than somebody who is battling with internal insecurities? Mm-hmm. What are people saying about me? Am I having the effect that I want to have? Mm-hmm. Are people receiving this the way that I think they That's should? To, yeah. Right. All of us deal with that level of insecurity. Oh, my God. Yes. Mm-hmm. All of us, including Jesus, mm-hmm. but we never see that because because preachers, pastors, teachers don't talk about Jesus being insecure so much that he has to ask his di- disciples for reassurance. And what happens? Peter says, you're the son of the living God. You're and good. it's something it's something. <laughs> and the and the thing was not that Peter said it, but Jesus's response was, Wow. You didn't know that on your own. The only way you could have gotten that was because God told you. And because Jesus had heard it from God before and then somebody repeated it. Yeah. He believed it. Yes, Mm -hmm. that's right. I would agree with that. Right. And so that is like even in your insecurity, God, one, will reassure you. Mm -hmm. But all of us deal with insecurity. And if you're going to be who God has created you to be. Yeah. If you're going to be who God has created you to be, you're going to deal with insecurities and pray that there are people close enough to you and close enough to God to hear what God has to say. That'll reassure you so you can go do the work and change the world. Mm-hmm. And it backs up the idea that God, yes, like you said, is in all of us, right? And yeah. And be able to get access and be able to do yeah. that. And so I love that's, that. And, and so the, the book walks us through day by day different lessons about how we get closer to being our most authentic, most loving, most human, most compassionate selves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, get closer to who God has created us to be. I love that. What was the most uh, challenging chapter to write in that? The most challenging, I already, like, I know. <laughs> it is the entry on um, forgiveness. Hmm. Mm. Um, it's Tell the us. entry I write about Judas. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a, a friend um ghost me mm-hmm. and 
and I had tools at his house. Donovan, you know, I got a whole bunch of power tools and stuff because mm-hmm. I be building and making stuff. I be- yeah, I believe I believe in having tools. <laughs> um, and so he had a number of my tools at his house. And tools are expensive, Corey. They are mad expensive, okay. which is why you don't loan people your tools. Mm-hmm. Keep your tools at your house. I don't generally, but I I was helping him move in, so I used the tools at his house to put stuff together and gotcha. yada, 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 gotcha. and left them there because I don't loan people my tools. Don't ask. I'm not loaning you my tools. Thanks. <laughs> and so I left tools at his house and he was ghosting for like two months. Damn. And that was a project I was working on that I needed my tools to complete. And so finally, I concocted a scheme to get into his secure building where he lived to go and retrieve my tools. And when I got there, previously, I talked to our mutual friend. Who shared with me he he's going through a whole lot he's ghosted everybody mm. something is really going on mm-hmm. um and so like nobody can get to him he won't talk to any of his friends his closest friends he's not talking to anybody i ain't give a damn give me my, my goddamn tools. tools and so i went to his house and i was like bruh knocked on the door deep, 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 deep. yo give me my tool like i'm not trying to And he was trying to talk to me, have a conversation, and I dismissed every opportunity for him to open a conversation. Nah, bro, that's not it. I got that wrench set. Where is it? Like, open that cabinet. Give me my shit. Right? And I got my tools, and I left. And God was beating me down. Mm -hmm, To the ground. Because I had been nursing this entry about forgiveness and Judas and cancel culture in my head and in my notes for a while. And everything I had been talking about in those notes and ruminating on started like that wrestling that I talk about. Mm -hmm. And I was moved to go back to his house and apologize to him. Um. For the way that I shut down his attempts to talk to, to talk to me. And I had to go through the same scheme to get back in the building. And I went to go knock on his door. And all of a sudden, I felt this rush. And instead of knocking on his door, I went into the stairwell for an hour. And I wrote the entry about forgiveness. Hmm. And when I wow. finished writing... I sent him a text message and I said, listen, I'm outside your door um, and I wanted to apologize to you for how I acted earlier. As a friend, I should have allowed you the space to say whatever it was you needed to say to me. Mm -hmm. And I didn't do that. And I'm operating outside of my ethics. And so I'm sorry. And. When he opened the door and I apologized, he started to cry. And he told me that he did want to talk. Mm -hmm. And so I wrote that that entry in his stairwell. Mm -hmm. Um, And the entry about Judas is really about how when somebody offends us, how we isolate them and what that isolation causes because we really give Judas a hard time in scripture and in life after mm. Judas is the betrayer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they asked Peter 
yo, mm-hmm. aren't you one of his boys? Who? Exactly. Peter's <laughs> like, huh? Huh? I don't know her. Uh, who? Who? Uh, I, I don't know nobody. Nah, named bro. I'm pretty sure. Yo, 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 yo. Will, don't that look like that dude that used to be with G? Uh-uh. Who? What? Huh? And then another person comes in and is like, nah, bruh, you was with Jesus. And Peter curses. God damn it. I said I don't know who's that. Right? He goes off. He uses profanity, scripture says, to rebuff the man. He betrayed Jesus the same way. But we give Judas a really hard time. Right? And, and as a result, Judas kills himself. Mm. What would what would it have looked like mm. for them to create space for his redemption? Mm. What what does it look like when you are going through the worst struggle of your life and the people you have spent the the bulk of the last three years of your life living, grinding, working, growing, crying, experiencing joy, pain, everything with isolate you at your darkest moment yeah and judas repents he goes back to the chief priest and says yo this man is innocent he didn't do nothing i don't want this money he throws the money at them and they like bruh take your coins yo you did what you did we're done a little too late a little too sorry and then as a result of them saying we're not dealing with you Mm-hmm. And the disciples deciding we're not dealing with you. Judas kills himself. Mm-hmm. And that's not the way that Jesus handled any of their mess ups, any of their mistakes. Jesus washes Judas's feet the same way that he washed the other disciples feet. Mm-hmm. His last experience with Judas is kissing him on the cheek. And we don't do that. Mm-hmm. You canceled. You yeah, done. We're horrible. We threw. And so that entry was like one of the. the I most forgive difficult. you, Kim Burrell. I forgive you, bitch. <laughs> Shut up. I forgive right. you. Thank you, Corey. I forgive you. No, I'm just playing. And, I, I've forgiven no, her for a while. Yeah. I've forgiven and, her for a while and, now, and, y'all. And, and forgiveness isn't about, you know, us becoming bosom buddies again, mm-hmm. but it's about me not requiring some penalty mm-hmm. for some. For some offense you made, mm-hmm. right? It's a lot of things. Sometimes like, forgiveness like requires distance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. But we have to be gracious enough to not want you to be punished right. the way I decided you mm-hmm. want to be punished. Because Jesus doesn't do that. Mm-hmm. When he goes off on the disciples, he goes off on all of them. Mm-hmm. His cousins, he goes off all on them. y'all motherfuckers. Yeah, yeah. he go off <laughs> on all of them. And then says, okay, now let me teach you what, here's the lesson I was trying to teach you. Yeah. And we don't do that. We cut people off and then we're done. So I really appreciate you breaking that down as far as like how you kind of view your religion versus like Paul versus the disciples of teachings of Jesus. Because actually just the way you've been able to break that down has been able for me to be able to see a lot clearer of mm-hmm. like the direction of like because what I've always said I've always said the 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 idea of Christian the idea of Christianity is beautiful right. when you think about Jesus loving and doing all the, yeah. I was like this is amazing yeah who doesn't want to get down with this but then you know as a child and I start realizing that this doesn't work with who I am as a spirit when I'm 
people are telling me I'm going to hell and I'm going to die and all that yeah. burn. And I'm like, I just, I don't even, I'm I barely, just got I barely here. know what's going on. I just know that I like Tyrone. Like I, and I y'all brought I'm me here destined for hell, and I'm and I'm living in my most purest form as a, a kid, and now I'm already going to hell. So I will say that. Rude. That just kind of like what you've explained has really like made it a little bit more clear, clearer for me about just kind of a, a new way. Because for I'm not gonna lie, there was a a a, a big distinction, of, and there still is between religion and spirituality. Yeah. And I'm more so rooted in the the, the spirituality, spirituality, you know. And that's a that's a real millennial thing. But I love the it, fact it, it because is. it is because what I think about because I think what's important and you said this before is that I understand the importance of knowing it all so like I believe now as a person I can take information and I can read it and 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 I can pull out the nuggets and the stuff that works for me I can pull out the good shit that works for me so I think that is a part of my spirituality that I'm missing because this is a great again a great concept that I would love to subscribe to but I know that it wasn't right for my spirit but to be able to pick out these stories to be able to yeah. pick out these things that you're sharing is so helpful and it, it pushes me further with my spirituality because now I have stories now I have you know pictures and ideas that yeah. go with it and support that goes with the trajectory of how I feel as a person yeah. and I can match it with the Quran I can match it with these teachings of Jesus I can match it with but, a little bit of uh, Judaism but here's Buddhism, the thing you know? here's, here's, here's the, the other thing about that 20 to 80 percent thing right mm-hmm. I was watching the movie um, Doctor Strange, mm. the Marvel film. Mm-hmm. And when he goes to meet the ancient one, right? And he's trying to figure out, like, if he can learn this magic to heal his hands, right? Mm-hmm. She shows him when she knocks him out of his body. Which was so right? fun. She knocks him out of his body and she shows him three images. One is the image of the chakra. Mm-hmm. One is the image of an of a skeleton, Mm -hmm. right of an Mm x-ray and one is the image of nerves and all of those things because he's neuro like he's a surgeon neuro Mm -hmm. uh whatever type of surgeon he was right and he said she says to him you see one part of this all you know is this one is this one and then she mashes them together and she turns it around to show him Mm -hmm. that all of these parts are part of the whole whole thing and so christianity has this one image Mm -hmm. and we miss the other parts yes because we've devalued them and decided that they don't mean anything Mm -hmm. and so what was expansive for me another instance was right my acupuncturist Mm -hmm. and doing yoga and acupuncture Mm -hmm. The idea of mindfulness yeah. and stealing yourself. Very Buddhist. Mm-hmm. Very Buddhist. Yeah. That we miss mm-hmm. in Christianity. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's a lot of noise, a lot of praying, mm-hmm. a lot of crying out, mm-hmm. a lot of singing. But not enough silence. Not enough silence. Yes. Sitting with yourself. Yeah. And when you begin to go inward. Yeah. Like the principles mm-hmm. of Buddhism will teach you. There's something that you connect with there mm-hmm. that you will miss mm-hmm. if all you have ever experienced is the black church. Yeah. No. Oh my God. Or the high holy. I can't even get. Okay. I'm sorry. Right? I can't even get but, down with but, that. But even that is sensory. Yeah. It's 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 still appealing to mm-hmm. your senses 
and and there's no no real moving through contemplative uh centering spaces except if you are a monk at a monastery mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a priest at a monastery mm-hmm. but that's not all of our experience or my acupuncturist got me a book about um black elk it's called black elk speaks and it's about a native american medicine man who partially or faked full conversion to christianity slash catholicism they wanted him to burn his um his his uh materials the of the course. rituals mm-hmm. um that he used to practice Spiritual, his traditional right. native american mm-hmm. um religion and so he got fake ones and burned those but he continued to practice his native american traditional religion mm-hmm. and he talks about the intersection between the two the ideas of how they mm-hmm. intersect and all mm-hmm. of that stuff that he um, that they believe that God is in everything. God is in the tree. God is that in is. the bison. God is in the rocks. God is in the water. Right. God Oof. is in all of this. Right. Mm-hmm. And and Native American traditional Native American religion elevates God to a to a point where we don't abuse the bison. Right. We only kill what we need. What we the need. bison is our brother and God is in that. Mm-hmm. Right. And so they honor it when they eat it. And, and do all of those things. They thank the bison for providing sustenance to them, right? The same way that we pray over, over our food. food and thank God, right? Yeah. They have this relationship with nature that they revere and see God in every part of nature, right? Absolutely. He talks about this in the book. Fast forward to the Standing Rock protests. Yeah. Where they were protesting against the the um, Keystone Pipeline mm-hmm. in uh, North and South Dakota, yeah, right. There is there's there's videotape, um, there's footage you can look at online of them spraying pepper spray into all of the protesters and arresting and herding them off of the space that they were occupying as protest. Yes. they herd all of them off. And as soon as all of those people are gone, what happened with the bison? A herd of bison mm-hmm. come to the same space and occupy the same space. Mm-hmm. As if to say that if you are going to harass and move my brothers, mm-hmm. you cannot do that to me. Mm-hmm. Because you what what the hell are, what what are you gonna do with bison? You not and, and, and their and their connection to nature. And God was so much so that when they couldn't do anymore, God moved through the bison Mm. and came and stood with them. Amen. And we miss that. When is God showing up at your protest? Mm -hmm. When are bison or birds or Mm -hmm. whatever showing up to respond at your event? Mm -hmm. Because we've missed that connection to God in that way. Absolutely. And so I I believe that I know enough about God to know that I don't know enough. Mm -hmm. I agree. And I do not take and I cannot be so arrogant to dictate to God how God can be God. Now, for me, I was introduced to God by way of Christianity Mm -hmm. because I was born in Chicago in 1984. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But if I was born in uh in tibet someplace tibet or if i was born somewhere else Mm -hmm. and and i have a hard time believing that god is so petty to be one way that god will decide 
you was born in the right place right at the right time good for you so you got it you're not gonna go to hell everything i mean i i i definitely believe that religion is like a vehicle it's a it's a vehicle it's it's there are several kinds there are different vehicles there are different mechanisms and it's to guide you to a place and oftentimes that place is right back up in here and right back into a place where we can you know then you know Put that back into whether it's our community, yeah. our families, but yeah. it's supposed to. It's a. It comes right back to us over and over and over again, and I, I just find it incredibly interesting that with religion, to a certain extent, comes a lot of, an incredible of a lot of arrogance, yes. an incredible amount of arrogance, yes. and. I oftentimes see that like while I think that religion, that particular vehicle is fantastic, is that if it's being driven by maniacs, if it's in fact drive through herds of people. Yes, you will literally drive through herds of people, you will hurt people, you will run over people, all in the name of getting to this place, but you find that you're just driving and driving and driving. You have to question direction, you have to you have to question, is this the right vehicle for me? Do I get off here? Have I gotten to see enough? Maybe I want to try something else. You know what I mean? And, And and it is, you know, that once again, that line through almost everything that you've said of being able to give Jesus and give God these very human, give them humanity or give it humanity or recognize a humanity in God, yeah. however you want to put it. What a, it, it. It extends itself when you think about thinking about the person in Tibet who is silent in their in their in their relationship in most of with their God. day. And like, some people and I've told people I've told people this because I've come to understand these things a bit more. That one of the most sacred gifts I can give to God is my silence. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I, I, y'all know this, I'm always talking. You mm-hmm. sure are. Mm-hmm. That's what I do. Ass. That's mm-hmm. what I, I get. You're the most talking. That's what I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. That's what mm-hmm. I do for a living. Right. People yeah. pay me to talk. Yeah. People pay me to advise them. People pay me to coach them. Mm-hmm. Come on the grapevine and talk. Go on podcasts and talk. Stand up at graduations and churches and funerals. All right, we got it. What else? I talk. The most talkingest. And so when I'm silent, <laughs> it's like your recharge. People, not even the recharge, but that God, I don't need to say anything. Mm-hmm. That I give everybody else my words, yeah. so I need to give you something else. Yeah, absolutely. And God knows, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so God I'm, is in you. And so it's I'm a special silent. time for you. Yeah. And so some people have encountered me in that space and have asked, are you okay? Of course. Is something wrong? Yeah. No. I go. Mm-hmm. I, I, I go. I think I like e- even with, <laughs> I go. I think like even with meditation, yeah. I know, like for me, if I can be quiet, it's so much, that's the only way I can get there. Mm-hmm. I have to be quiet. And I, and it's, it is a sensory thing. It's all things. It's very, it's like, I gotta in, be quiet. it's inward, right. outward. It's, it's a, it's an energy. It's a feeling. It's all of these things combined. And if I'm not in a quiet space, if I don't have a moment, if I'm not in a place where I can keep my thoughts quiet, it's very hard to access that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's proof to me. That there is a certain relationship that is so personal, at least for me, in a way where I can get, to, I can have my moment where it's away from everybody else. It's just that experience with myself, with God, 
It is so quiet. It's without judgment. I am not a man. I am not a woman. I am not black. I am not white. It is a very intimate experience that sheds itself of all of that type of superficiality and brings something that feels so powerful, but at the same time, so small and at the same time, so a part of something so much bigger. bigger and it's, it's, it's why that like, is God to me. There's and it's why when you come into FCBC sometimes there's an energy yeah. in the space. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Right? And I tell people, like, what do you what do you think happens when you connect a bunch of batteries together? Mm-hmm. You literally feel And it. so you put fifteen portions or fifteen hundred connectors of God force in a room. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy. It's yeah. visceral. You feel that. Yeah. It's why something can happen in that space that might not have happened when you were at home by yourself. Mm-hmm. That's so true. Yeah. I, I can and, definitely and, agree. And, yeah. and there is also something that happens when you need to be withdrawn from everything right. else. Yeah. It's that balance. And, we, we always go back to right, balance. That, that connectivity. That's the God. If we believe that Fellowship. God breathed in mm-hmm. all in humanity when God breathed into to human beings at the beginning and that's what's in all of us when we all get together we feel that absolutely it's why right when when you think about somebody then you walk past them on the street Mm -hmm. or they send you a text Mm -hmm. or you send them a text and they were oh i was just thinking about you right because that god force that connects us all right and we haven't spent enough time investing in absolutely sitting in seeking to understand that i mean and so you don't know what it is and so somebody says right the most common name for god is something told me you know i i got up and And something something told me me that i need to call you (laughs) or i got i got on the train and something told me to get off at this stop and then the next stop, there was an accident mm-hmm. or you would have been late mm-hmm. or you saw somebody that you needed to say, see so they could say something to encourage you or you could say something to him. that something told me mm-hmm. is the most common name for God. Mm-hmm. And we don't sit in that unknown, that dark, that undiscovered frontier where God exists in the 80. Yeah. But that's the best places. Mm-hmm. I think like, you know, um, two things. One thing is that when you, for me, spending time by myself and experiencing all of the crevices of my experiences, you know, that may be way after the fact, right? Because I'm not living in the past, but it still affects me. So everything may not be as clear. Everything may not be as crisp. But there are certain emotions that forever linger. Yeah. And that's what we usually battle with. Like yeah. these emotions that are tied to our past, even though the past technically is done with us. We're not necessarily done with it. And it's that process of like working through those things that I found that I find spirituality and God to be incredibly helpful. Because in our emotions, in our feelings, especially when they're sensory, we can't figure out how quite to juggle them. We can't figure out how quite to get control of them. But when you spend those moments with God and you're quiet and you're leaning over towards gratefulness or you're leaning towards over the something told me is learning to appreciate those moments. I feel like, you know, those are great ways to start awakening God in um 
in, in not such a fancy, fancy way and not such a church way, but in a, a really, really honest, real ass way. And it's in that 80% that you're talking about because it's not easy. It's mm-hmm. not. It's, it's not, not. It's not, you know, the most simple thing to sit down and say, you know what, I'm going to look at this pain and, and the way that it affects me from day to day, even though I smoke it away or I do whatever it is away, I'm going to face it. I'm going to sit down with it and hope that I'm going to find God here someplace. It's very, very scary for people. And another thing that I wanted to touch on was how that's kind of connected to the church experience because the church experience, although it's full of people can feel very lonely yeah, and it can almost exacerbate those very, very, those same feelings that I was just describing. And what I realized when you were speaking or what came to my mind when you were speaking was that maybe the reason why, or the, the obvious reason why in certain churches you don't feel what you feel in FCBC is because judgment is in that space. It's not so people aren't accessing God, rather, right? You yeah. know, people will say, well, yes. there are sinners in here. God yes. can't be in here. But no, God, of course, is where there are sinners. God is not necessarily showing up because we're God's preoccupied with judgments. Like, what are you saying? Yeah. And in those ways, that's why sometimes it just has to be silent. Sometimes it does have to be a personal thing. And, and it has to be in the 80. Yeah, it has mm-hmm. to be a you thing. I mean, it's it's that and because I I think Mike Warren is a genius. And this is the pastor of FCBC. I think he is a genius. There are things that from the outside you may never really pay attention to if you don't know that these are practices that have purpose. Yeah. So what FCBC, right? You it feels different to you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Why? Why? What are some of the things that make it different? I think for me, like the thing about FCBC, when you go inside of that space, you'll see every kind of person. OK. Not only that, from a theological perspective, this is this the this is the first time that I've been in a space where someone was able to link storytelling and education and theology and scholarship in one, in one space, in one sitting, in one opportunity, and then offer things like affirmations, offer things like translations, and offer things that added to the toolbox for you that you can walk away with and apply to your life. It wasn't some decorated lesson that you could have learned from watching fucking, I don't know, a good session of Oprah. So It, feels, it felt very personal. And so very, when you come into FCBC, next time you guys walk in, you're probably going to see this and be like, oh my God, what? if you look on the floor... Right when you come in, mm-hmm. welcome is inscribed in the the floor okay. in different languages. Oh, really? In probably like 20 or 30 different languages, it says welcome yeah. on that floor. Yeah. Right? Um, and the last one, the largest one, says welcome in English. Mm-hmm. When you come into that space. Never even noticed that. When oh. you come <laughs> into that space, the other thing that's present right there are the people that are greeting you. Yes. Smiling. For sure. Hey, good morning. Hey, how y'all doing? What's good up? What's up? Welcome what's up? To, right. Mm-hmm. And not one or two then, people, a couple of people. A, a couple people. Yeah. And then a number of those people will good morning and hug you. Mm-hmm. Right. Then you get into the the sanctuary space. And during during a moment, uh, during the welcome, whoever's giving the welcome will say, Turn to the person next to you and tell them you love them and hug them. Mm-hmm. Or when it's time to pray, Mike will say, grab the person next to you by the hand or reach out to the person next to you. Right. And so 
what he's done is in, indoctrinated um, this ethos of positive touch mm-hmm. and community mm-hmm. and love and affirmation Absolutely. in a very real sense mm-hmm. that it's very subversive. That it happens three or four or five times during service where somebody is telling you, reach out to the person next to you and hug them. Mm-hmm. Give the person next to you a high five. Social media Sunday. Come on, take a picture with your neighbor mm-hmm. to foster and create this sense of community. Mm-hmm. And people don't notice that. But that's a part of it. Mm-hmm. Because we understand that some people haven't had a positive touch since the last time they were in this space. Wow. And that's so true. Some people having had a hug without malice, without somebody wanting something from them, without somebody abusing them Mm -hmm. since the last time they were in this space. Well, you know what? I just I actually want to touch on that because I do feel like, well, first of all, we got to go because we've been doing this for a minute. But more so than anything. You know, when we did the last Grapevine recording, mm-hmm. and because it is Pride Month, when I remember walking away from that conversation that we did with a couple of people from the LGBTQAI+, um, you know, our folks, is that there was just like a lot of pain at that table. Yeah. And it wasn't a debate. It was just a conversation. Yeah. And there was a lot of pain at that table. And you just spoke about pain. And you just spoke, at abu- spoke about abuse. And you spoke about Kendra, who even works in the space of rehabilitating people who have been hurt by the church. But... Not necessarily specific to church, yeah. but for people who are hurt right now, what mm-hmm. are three things that you can offer in terms of, you know, you obviously have Counterculture coming out, which is a great handbook for these types of things as well. Which I will be reading. Which we will buy, buy copies of as well. And you can tell people where they can get um, a copy of that later on later on when we're closing out. But this is my last question. You know, what are three things that you can offer to people going through pain, the worst time in their life right now? to just get closer to a pathway of seeing something different and not want to commit suicide, you know, not want to give up, you know, what, what do you have to offer? One, one of the things I will, I will say is that a lot of our pain comes from us thinking, believing that we have to be something different than we are. Mm -hmm. And that shows up in a number of ways that we are gay and the world doesn't like us. Yeah. Um, that I feel like I want to do this. I was created to do this and people around me don't understand Mm -hmm. whatever that is. And so this idea that I had about affirmation right earlier that not needing anybody else's permission Mm -hmm. or affirmation was because I got it from somewhere. Mm -hmm. And so I'll give you this. This is an affirmation that we used to say a whole lot at FCBC. Um, And it's based on Jesus's baptism. When Jesus gets baptized, God shows up at the baptism and like throws the party. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is, I am the beloved of God. God's spirit lives in me Mm -hmm. and in me, God finds favor. Mm -hmm. And and that happens at the beginning of Jesus's ministry, not when he has done anything. Right. Not one miracle performed yet. Right. Not not one sermon not one fish into five none of that god shows up at the beginning and says this is my beloved son as king james version says and whom i'm well pleased Mm -hmm. that god shows up at the beginning to affirm you to say i love you i'm with you i'm proud of you beautiful and if we knew that and believe that 
that you don't have to perform, mm-hmm. that you don't have to meet any benchmarks, yes. that you don't have to do anything different. That when you showed up, God showed up to say, I love you. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm proud of you. That is beautiful. Right. Don't ruin that. Don't do the other two. That is I, beautiful. Yeah. I was I was going to be done right there. Wow. Yeah. That's great. That is beautiful. And, yeah. and, and when you know that, that's when you can then turn and say, I don't need anybody else's permission or affirmation. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I, I understand it's not that simple when you're at your wits end and when you faced so much heartache and pain and abuse, but yeah. when you begin to see the beauty and who you are and who God has created, there are 7 billion people on the planet and only one of you. Mm-hmm. And so there's significance in you. Otherwise, there would be no need for you to be here. Mm-hmm. God would have just skipped over creating you. I got seven you. billion already. I don't need mm-hmm. you. But there is something about you that is beautiful, that is valuable, that is useful, that all of us need. Mm-hmm. And so I love you. God loves you. I love you too, motherfucker. I love yeah. you. That was really, really beautiful, Corey. That was some re- that yes. if if you can tell that's a clip first of all but mm-hmm. <laughs> but if you can offer anybody anything I think that is what you would offer yeah. people yes, yes. It's, it's it's really what I believe I'm created to to show people to teach people that listen yeah God you right now you're already God is already giving you the reward. Yeah. God has already thrown you the party. Right. God has already thrown you a party. And we just got to show up to the party. We just got to stop sabotaging the party. Amen. Celebrate. Amen. So so how can we celebrate uh, you? When is the book coming out? I'm so, I'm so, 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 so excited about this. Um, it's been a two year process of writing the book. I started in the spring of 2017 mm-hmm. um, and I finished in the spring of 2019. Amen. So the book will go on sale. Pre-sales begin June 25th. And the name one more time. The Counterculture Devotional. Yes. The journey to being the person God created you to be. Um, and the book will go on sale. Pre-sales begin June 25th mm, that's um, on my website, CoreyLscott.com. And I love the time in which it's coming out. It's a yeah. very, very good time. Yeah. Uh, so you can you can pre-order on June 25th. Um, and then the book release is August 5th. Beautiful. Um, we're having, in Chicago? We're having a huge book release party in chicago oh man um, we're actually gonna do it on the mystic blue which is one of the yachts a at navy oh, pier like a blue a yeah boat. we're gonna do the book release that's party beautiful um at the mystic blue at navy pier um mm. tickets for that will be on sale and with your ticket to the book, book release you get the book and Ooh, on, on the boat that is fucking um, amazing. so i'm excited i'm excited i'm excited about that we're excited um for i you. really want mm-hmm. people to to get it um i'm i'm really super duper excited um I had an experience with the book that was so dope. I think I shared it with you. Mm-hmm. It was the first time I heard the clip from the audio book. Mm-hmm. Man, <laughs> I wrote it and I'm like, okay, this is good stuff. But I have a really, really, really dear friend of mine who um, recorded the audio book version. Wow. Um, and the first 
she did the first entry and I heard it and I started crying. Mm. And so if you don't like to read, right, physical books or stuff like that, you'll be able to get the audio book as well. Hey. Um, and it's really going to be an amazing, amazing experience. I'm so proud of the product. I'm so proud of the journey. And I really, really want people to grow from yeah. it. I, you know, I could care less about, you know, money and and all of that stuff how much i i i just my only goal is to get back what i put into it which isn't having to sell a whole lot of books so my family is gonna take care of that right because mm -hmm. i have a super duper huge family <laughs> amen but i really <laughs> just want people to get the book and and grow from it it's it's there are no answers I ask a lot of questions in the book at mm -hmm. the end of each devotional. There are questions for you to answer um, to get you to think and to get you to mm -hmm. grow. Um, and that's all I want. That's why I wrote awesome. it. I really want people to start this journey, take it seriously and really be who God created you to be. Hey. Amen. Well, I just want to, you know, I have not fully gotten through all of um, the book. What I will say, though, is that. Wait, you got a copy? Well, I mean, there's certain little gifts that I've gotten along the oh, way. I ain't there's got certain shit. I don't know nothing. Well, that. actually, Will, I actually today, one of the reasons I was late was because I was actually printing manuscripts for the two of you. Oh, oh my God. God. I was about to say, because I was like, I don't know. Corey, I am freaking out right now. Yeah. It's this a, is exciting. It's here. Okay, I'm reading it. There's so many books okay, to read. So we're going to read it. Yes. And I'm going to give which I don't usually do because I have a couple of friends now who are authors, I'm just saying. <laughs> but I don't usually give my you know, endorsement before. But what I will say is that I've known you for a while now. And whenever we get the opportunity to ask questions, this is the greatest gift you can give yourself to ask yourself empowering questions so that you can live an empowering life because when we are more knowledgeable when we have answers it better prepares us to move forward and to grab life by the balls and you want to be able to take god with you and i know that i'm always in search of opportunities to get closer and closer to myself and closer and closer to god and, and that's oprah sometimes that's ayala sometimes sometimes that's Corey, sometimes that's will sometimes that's donnie you know wherever i can get that Brene brown i love her too i love lisa nichols i love a lot mm -hmm. of people who are out here who are giving pieces of themselves in their work and i think that it is so important that if you are in a moment or in a position in a season of your life where you are looking to get closer to yourself if you're ready to ask yourself empowering questions if you want to get to the next level pick up Corey's book get the mm -hmm. order it it's not going to be a bazillion dollars yeah. it's going to be whatever it is he's a black man he's a black gay man out here trying to give what his special 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 piece of god that he has in him back to you so that you can see your special piece and i think that that is a great investment so i'll definitely encourage people to get that Corey, where can people find you on social media yes, so that's what I was gonna ask. and and I, once we're off air i you've had it for a little while so i want to mm. know like what you think of, of what you read so far um but i can be found on all social media the same way i love my name um and because i'm named after both my great-grandparents and i'm really proud of that um so i use my name for everything there's no anything else so Corey l scott c-o-r-y l-s-c-o-t-t on instagram twitter facebook all the socials you can find me um 
everywhere by my name, Corey L. Scott. Awesome. Yes, definitely check out Corey. And I just wanted to say again, thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing your mind. Um, I cannot wait to read the book myself just because being able to experience you via grapevine, via libations and conversations, you've already, you know, opened my mind um, up to so many different perspectives and thoughts and ideas. And again, it's just so amazing to be in your presence and see you unfold in many different ways mm-hmm. and continuously um, offering perspective and, and challenging one uh, challenging those around you. And that energy and that spirit that you carry is so important. Um, and the work that you do is so important in so many ways. And again, just we know this, but just by being who you are through all of your intersections is so important. And again, it inspires me to keep going and inspires me to keep growing and to continue to do the stuff like this podcast. So I'm so just honored to have your perspective and your voice here to share for the world. And I know that it not has only not helped me so much, but it's going to help a lot of people out there. So again, thank you for being here and sharing that with us. It's so amazing. Thank you both. I love you, pumpkin. I really love you both. Thank you so much. And thank y'all for listening. I know I talk a lot. Holla. Yes, we all do. But with that being said, brother, you want to take us out of here? Yes. So take a little time to get to know yourself. Oh yeah. Wait, we can do Corey in this one. Okay. So when we do our outro, it goes, Donovan goes, Take a little time to get to know yourself. And then, oh, wait, you can do take no shit. And then we'll do all do no take no days off. Okay. Yeah? Yeah. All right. Take us out of here, brother. Okay. So take a little time to get to know yourself. Take no shit. And take no, no days, days off. off. Hey. Hello. Thank you, guys. See y'all later. Bye bye. All right. Hey. Y'all.